the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 194. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed, the proud owner of an all-star Batman number one poster. Aha! And this is Stella, the proud person who sent Ed the uh, all-star Batman poster. Thank you. Look at that synergy. All right, (laughs) and we are bringing you the latest comic reviews and comic book news from the weeks of August 15th through September 3rd. We have two books to cover because, as we all predicted Dark Knight 3 did not come out. So we only have two books to cover this episode. Um, We do have just a tad bit of news, and then we have uh, a bunch of books as part of our Greater Gotham and a bunch of listener Q&As as part of the Bat Signal. So we're going to get into news first. So going over news for the past two weeks, not a whole lot, but the the one thing we want to discuss at length is solicitations. So um, if you have been... Anybody who's been viewing things on the internet, you've probably noticed that everybody and their brother is starting to create these listicles, as they call them, which are basically articles that include a list of a top 10 or top 5 or whatever. So, hey, why not the comic cast jump on that bandwagon? And we are going to bring you the top 10 things revealed in the November DC solicitations related to, of course, the Batman universe. Our number 10 uh, spot includes a new series debuting called Superpowers number one from Art Baltazar and Franco. These are the guys who are behind Tiny Titans and they also did a series called Superman Family Adventures. Uh, they have won awards for their all ages series. Now the interesting thing about this is that the solicitation actually reads that Batman is is not in this series and uh, it's because Batman's missing. Superman helps uh, to clean up Gotham City when he discovers a clue that sends Wonder Woman into space looking for the Cape Crusader. Um, So basically it seems as if the series is going to deal with the disappearance of Batman and the other superheroes, the other world's greatest heroes are going to be trying to find, find Batman. So that is a new series. Of course, all ages means this is acceptable for children of all ages. Now, that doesn't mean us as adults don't get some joy out of these. I have purchased uh, a number of the Tiny Titans trade paperbacks for my son in the past, and we've read through them, and they're chocked full with Easter eggs for mm-hmm. adults who are going to understand them so much more than kids who are just experiencing the characters for the first times. But the, they've, they, these guys, Franco and, and uh, Balthazar have done a great job of putting together some great stuff for kids to really get them introduced to the world of DC comics. So I applaud them and I applaud DC comics for getting them some new work in uh, coming in November. So that's number 10. Yeah, it's good, too, because, quite frankly, we need more gateway to get kids into comics. Okay, so then the next thing we've got is in Batman number 11, Bane is returning. Uh, We had heard in the interviews that Stella had conducted at San Diego that Bane was going to be back in a comic, and it is, in fact, 
Batman. He is going to be in Batman number 11, and it appears that he's going to be the same version of Bane that we saw in the uh, Talon run that James Tynion did, or Tynion. I'm going to pronounce his name right because he actually posted on Twitter exactly how to pronounce it, and I was like, like, okay, I'm I'm going to start to feel bad if I... If I keep doing it now that he's actually told the world that everybody is pronouncing it wrong, it's Tai Nin. Tai Nin. Tai Nin had had said that, or he had written Bane in the pages of Talon as the you know military warlord type person of Santa Prisca, and it appears that that is the same way that Tom King is going to be writing him in the pages of Batman, um, because Batman is headed to Santa Prisca and Bane is there looming right there on the cover. So uh, Bane is returning. I think it'd also be easier if maybe just refer to him as JT4. We could just stick with that. I don't even know. Given the state of Batman number five and thinking that six issues ahead, like Batman's going to be leaving the city and, and going to Santa Prisca, I don't really know how it connects. So I'll be interested to see what that is. And I want to know what Bane's characterization is going to be like under Tom King's hand. Uh, I like Tom King as a writer, but I, I think we've seen Bane mishandled since the new 52. For the most part, I mean, I feel like, yeah. that's, in my opinion anyways, I feel like there was some really weird stuff that was going on, especially with the villains month and the Arkham breakout and all that jazz. So it'll just be interesting to see how he's worked in. And I noticed, too, it says, I am, the name of the of the arc is called I Am Suicide. Mm. Um, I don't know. Interesting. I, I, I think Stella's right, though. The, the New 52 Bane went from terrible when David Finch wrote him way back in the Dark Knight to just kind of silly. So hopefully this will be a... Uh, Recreation, getting the character back to where it used to be. All right. So then moving on to our number eight spot for this, we're going to talk uh, in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number four. Uh, the character, the the new version of whoever is Oracle, is going to be revealed in issue hmm. number four. Ooh. A little soon for me, I think. Um, you know, and, and people like to know, I think, in advance, but I think there's a fun to putting some bait out there, you know, little clues and hints, and then waiting for something at the very end to be revealed. Um, and that's, you know, certainly something that was played with initially with Barbara Gordon as Oracle, right? There were, you had no idea in the late 80s who this person was because you only saw the computer screen. And then several issues in, you saw Batgirl doll, but you still didn't see who it was. But you're like, oh, is it Barbara Gordon? So there's there's something fun about that. So four is a little too soon for me, but um, I, I think really what it's going to come down to is how the reveal happens and who it is because I think that who is going to be really big. In our number seven spot, we have a non-TBU book. We have an appearance uh, of Batman and Damian Wayne. Uh, Over in the pages of Superman number 10 and 11, we have Damian Wayne meeting the Boy of Steel, which would be Superman's son, Jonathan Mm -hmm. Kent. Um, And we don't know if this is going to take place in more than two issues, but 10 and 11 say part one and two, so we can assume it's obviously two issues, at least two issues. The first part says... It's the meeting, and number 11, which is part two, says that Damien and the Boy of Steel have to save Superman and Batman. So in some ways, it's kind of setting up what we will eventually see in Super Sons, which is, obviously, we, we talked about last episode, is not coming out until sometime in 2017. So it'll be interesting to see their first meeting, Who and it just so happens that the creative team who is doing this happens to be Patrick Gleason and Peter Tomasi, who have previously worked with Batman and Damien 
at length in Batman Robin um, and uh, Patrick Leeson over in Robin, Son of Batman. So uh, nice to see those creators working on the character and, and having the ability to have that first introduction. Yeah, no, I think this, if you got any creator that's going to handle it, this will be it. Um, I would assume that this was probably originally timed to coincide with the Super Sons book, which I don't think anyone saw getting delayed this much. But uh, I think this is fun. It's, it's nice to see Damien around, and I think if this is going to be a long book with him and you know Superman's son, then it's got to be got to start it somewhere. All right, and then in our number six spot, we have uh, over in Nightwing number eight and nine. Uh, the solicitations read that Raptor is going to be taking Batman hostage after revealing his true intentions. And then over in issue number nine, it actually says that Nightwing is going to have to deal with a Superman that he's that he's unfamiliar with, which I'm assuming is the Superman from pre-Flashpoint um, that is currently in the DC books right now since the other Superman is no longer around. Um, but Nightwing is going to have to basically team with Superman for some reason to take down Raptor, who is a non-powered individual. So not sure why Superman comes in, but Superman's going to be in Nightwing. Fair enough. All right, and then uh, our number five spot, uh, real quick, uh, the Batman TMNT Adventures, which we talked about also last episode. Um, More details were revealed about this series, which will debut its first issue in November. Um, The series will be a miniseries. It will consist of six issues. Um, And specifically, if you remember the first Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover that we had actually dealt with the Turtles coming to Gotham City because of a portal and dealing with Dimension X and all of that stuff. This time around, it turns out that Batman's rogues gallery is going to be escaping from Arkham and somehow getting transported to New York City, and Batman will then go to New York City as well. So it'll be vice versa from the way it was for the first crossover, even though it's it's not a continuation from that because it's a different it's different Even universe changed. versions, yeah. Yeah. So is Batman a different universe as well? Yes, it's the Batman animated series. Ah, Batman. okay. That's gonna be so weird, like how those two like tones, you know, match up. Because I mean, Batman the animated series is quote unquote a kids' TV series, but it was pretty, you know, serious and, and dark. And then you know the. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is is light and, and crazy. You know, not without its dark moments. But I just wonder how those two are going to to mesh with each other. It'll be interesting, I, I think, to say the least. It'll be very interesting. All right, so then our, our number four spot, we have the debut of Mother Panic. Now, we, mm. we knew this series was coming. This is the new series coming from the Young Animal imprint from DC. Uh, and some people uh, I've been reading online, some people are attributing Young Animal as what could possibly become the new vertigo of DC Comics because the DC is putting out a ton of effort into this imprint. The solicitation for Mother Panic says, Meet Violet Page, a, a sabulante with bad attitude and a temper to match who no one suspects of having any uh, no one suspects of having anything lying beneath the surface surface of her outrageous exploits. But Violet isn't just another bored heiress in an upper echelons of Gotham City's elite. Motivated by her traumatic youth, Violet seeks to exact revenge on her privileged peers as a terrifying new vigilante known only as Mother Panic. Um, This is meant to be an ongoing, and it's going to debut in in November, and uh, as I've said before, we have every intention of reviewing this once November rolls around. So, Mother Panic in November. Hmm. Interesting. When I look at the art and I hear a little bit about her, not everything matches it up, but I feel like it sounds so much like Olive in um, 
in Gotham Academy. I don't yeah. know. Like the white hair, cool. she looks like her, and then I don't know. It just reminds me of her. I know she's not the same, but it should be interesting. I, I'm looking. I have to say, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and it's probably it's for probably the most ridiculous reason I can think of. But essentially, there when when I first started reviewing comics on the podcast and on the TVU podcast before the comic cast even existed, there was a series at the time that was coming out called Simon Dark. And Simon Dark was basically a character that was set up that set up shop inside of Gotham City, but dealt with like the supernatural elements that Batman didn't have anything to do with. Um, the series overall wasn't like amazing or you know great. I wouldn't sit here and go recommend going to check it out, um, even though it has been collected in trade paperback. But it was interesting because it shows that Gotham City isn't just where Batman's from. There's other characters that inhabit the city too. And I always have considered the Batman universe more important at, than just Batman, the singular character, because the universe is such a vast, vast place and involves so many characters. That's what that's why we exist here today. So, yeah. And it's, I guess, taking the place of Gotham at midnight that that's we really enjoyed. Yep, yeah. Gotham at midnight was good. It was. And. But it'll be interesting because I don't know that this series is going to be taking the supernatural aspects. We don't really know exactly which aspects they're going to do, other than it deals with the upper echelons of of the uh, of Gotham City. So, but in some ways, that you would think that at some point this person would come across Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne is part of the upper echelons of Gotham City as well. So. Oh, I'm sure they'll – listen, this isn't even meant as a slight in any way, shape, or form. If you're going to have a book set in Gotham City, you're going to at least make sure that Batman slash Bruce Wayne has some type of small cameo oh, yeah. for sales. I mean that's that's not even a slight. That's just common sense. Yeah. All right. So then our number three slot, uh, November happens to be yet another month that has five Wednesdays. I honestly believe that Woo-hoo. 2016 has had more five Wednesday months than any month this year or any any year <laughs> that we've been doing this any month. Uh, but anyway, uh, there's there the, there's because there's five Wednesdays. They have some books that are coming out at the end of the month. Uh, the first group of annuals from the uh, Rebirth era are going to be releasing, and the first one that's the that's related to the Batman universe is Batman Annual Number One. Um, the details there. It's interesting because in the past when we've had annuals from the New Fifty Two, a lot of times the annuals are written by either the writer who's currently attached to the series or it's somebody completely different. They're just telling a one-off story. And we've seen both versions of that with detective comic, detective comics and Batman annuals in the pages or during the new 52. This annual, however, is not going to be written just by Tom King. Who's currently on Batman. It's going to be written by a combination of five different writers. Tom King is one of those. Scott Sider is also one. Steve Orlando and I forget the other two off the top of my head, but there is five writers who are attached to the book. DC is specifically mentions inside of the uh, solicitation that it's a talent showcase. Um, so I'm guessing it's just a variety of different Batman creators who are going to be on the book. Uh, as far as artists, they did have three artists, including Neil Adams, attached to it. 
Um, but I'm guessing this is going to be more on the lines of the Detective Comics number 27's uh, mm. issue that we got years ago in New 52 rather than the more recent annuals, which are just a straight continuation of the story that we've been reading. I feel like they're just going to be a bunch of short stories. Now, the one thing I do want to point out about this is that it's going to be 48 pages and be priced at $4.99. That's not bad. Which... I'm not going to complain about, you know, I complain about prices of comics probably more than I probably should, but I did want to bring up just the comparison because last month we were, I was complaining about how all-star or not last month, but the last episode was complaining about how all-star Batman is as expensive as it is. And to put it in perspective, all-star Batman, which releases once a month only has 40 pages. According to the solicitation is still priced at that 499 price point. So you're not getting you're getting less for your money with All-Star Batman for whatever reason. It must be just the Scott Snyder price hike, I guess. I, I don't know what else you could you explain it behind, but that's the one other comparison that I wanted to make with this annual since it is oversized. So. Oh, yeah, and, you know, it sounds like they do have a nice... we got Dini on it, King yes. and Snyder, so that should be, should be cool. All right, and then number two, we have Catwoman, Election Night number one. Now, this is interesting because this kind of came out of nowhere. Um, basically, the, the the gist of what this is going to be is there is a Catwoman one-shot, one, one shot, and the the issue is going to be written by Meredith Finch, and it's going the art's going to be done by Shane Davis. Now, this is, this is slightly interesting for two reasons. Now, we have barely ever talked about this series, but there's a series that uh, most – big-time comic fans who have been reading DC Comics since the DCU happened last year. There was a series called Prez. It was originally supposed to be 12 issues. Instead, it was chopped down to only six issues because the sales weren't super great, even though it was critically... It was getting a lot of critical acclaim. It was very well done. Yes. The... It would chop down to six issues, and then it was uh, Dan DiDio actually had promised at the time on Twitter that the series was going to come back for another six-issue miniseries to make it a full 12 issues. Then at some other point, uh, it was that uh, right before DC Rebirth, I believe, it was brought up in some interview because I read about this online. It was brought up in an interview, what happened to Prez? Didn't you say there was going to be another six-issue miniseries? To which his response was, well, we decided to rework that, and instead there's going to be a one-shot that we're going to do that's going to wrap up the Prez story, so that way there's, there is some sort of finale. Well, enter Catwoman Election Night, and for whatever reason, Catwoman Election Night, number one, which the solicitation specifically reads is it has to do with Catwoman. There's a mayoral election uh, in, in Gotham City, and Catwoman doesn't care about what's going on. Um, but, the can- but the candidates get personal, and she decides to get involved to the detriment of everybody, presuming she's going to you know, rob. But then at the very end of the solicitation, it says, this issue contains a special bonus story featuring the return of President Beth Ross from the critically acclaimed Prez miniseries. So the fact that the series went from having 12 issues to chop to six, to chop to there's another six issue miniseries to there's going to be a one shot to be the finale to now being a backup backup of a Catwoman election story. I got to say DC just, they have, they have screwed over that character. And I understand like we've talked about sales. I get sales. I understand it. But at the same time, 
when you look at the, the 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 comics that are winning awards when it comes to either the Eisners or the Harveys or you know all those awards that are happening, those it tends to be a lot of the independent companies who don't care about the sales but are producing quality material that are winning these awards rather than the larger publishers. And you would think that at some point there would be some sort of method of not having to worry about sales if you have something that is so critically acclaimed just saying but well, the other a backup thing, is is a joke the other thing too is this like i'm not even suggesting you got to release it in five different variant covers with a deluxe hardcover at the very least you could let them do a one shot and put it out digitally right oh, i yeah. mean like at the absolute least that series was really good uh it got it got screwed over here and the fact that it's going to get up in, in the backup of a one shot is is extremely disappointing like i said at the very least you could let them wrap it up with a with a one shot and released it digitally, even if you didn't want to put it in print. So, I mean, that's, yeah, not cool. Not cool. All right. And then our number one slot goes to Batman number 10, which features, um, well, it features on the cover. We don't actually know for sure if this is it, but the solicitation says it's, it's also part of that. I am suicide. And it specifically says Batman now has his team, but are they ready for their most dangerous mission of their lives? Presuming that you know we're getting this, you know, Batman's version of the Suicide Squad that we've we've heard is going to happen. We predicted last episode who the characters were going to be. We assumed it was going to be Kite Man and the Condiment King. I mean, that was my assumption because they had said. But I'm guessing those characters are just making an appearance while Batman's trying to pick his squad, and I'm guessing that's what it's become because the cover of Batman number ten has a team of characters. And the team of characters that is shown includes Catwoman, Bronze Tiger, the Ventriloquist, but Arnold Wesker Ventriloquist. Oh, thank, thank God. You scared And then uh, two pretty obscure Suicide Squad members that have appeared in Suicide Squad in the past called Punch and Julie. Oh, wow. So uh, that's the team that's that's shown on the actual cover. Now... Like I said, we don't know if this is actually going to be the team or if this is just that. But it's interesting that Catwoman's involved because this will mark her first involvement in a any anything uh, in, since Rebirth. Because I don't even at this point I don't even think she's a popped up in Harley Quinn with, within Harley Quinn the Rebirth titles for Harley Quinn yet. So no. it looks like she's going to be headed over to Batman. Um, but hmm. the one thing that I find strange is that Catwoman's going to be potentially playing, you know, be, be being shown front and center in Batman, but then this election night special is coming out the same month. And that just, I don't know, like it just feels like the election thing is happening just because it's election time and they didn't feel like Prez was going to be able to sell enough copies by itself to do an election special just featuring Prez. So instead they've put Catwoman on the cover and just made a random story about Catwoman dealing with an election during November. I'm sure that's what they did. <laughs> of course that's what they did. Yeah. Yeah. But, yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I do think Catwoman deserves a place, an active place in the universe. And it's been a long time since she hasn't had a book, right? Like, she had one throughout the New 52. She had one pre-New 52. When was the last time she didn't have an ongoing? It's been a while. I mean, a long while. Well, when the Holly Robinson character was Catwoman... And that miniseries was occurring. That ended around the same time that the Cassandra Cain Batgirl series ended. Okay. They ended right around the same time, which was a couple years before. Or New 52. 52. Okay. Uh, I want to say it was like 2009 when both of those series wrapped up. 
And so it was like 2009 that she didn't have a series, and then they didn't bring her back until the New 52, which was two years later. So, I mean, at this point, it hasn't been as long by any means. But, uh, but yeah, that's our that's our uh, that's our list for uh, November solicitations. All right. So the next bit of news we have is comes on September 1st. The Wall Street Journal broke news that uh, the the uh, the first major event coming to DC Comics outside of Night of Monsters, which I guess is more of a Batman event, and that's why they're calling it. The major event in DC Comics is called Justice League vs. Suicide Squad. It will kick off in December and wrap up in January. The story will be spread across a six-issue miniseries, as well as three issues each of Justice League and Suicide Squad for a total of 12 issues. The story is set to revolve around Batman, questioning the need of Waller's team in a world where the Justice League exists. The story will also give individual focus to other characters, including Deadshot, in the new addition to the Suicide Squad, Killer Frost, but despite the team clashing, there will be a common enemy that they join to take down together. Uh, the event will be spearheaded by Joshua Williamson, who's currently working on The Flash, uh, with art with on specifically the miniseries by Jason Fabick. We also learned that Tim Seeley will be assisting on the Suicide Squad main series tie-ins as well. Uh, it was also revealed during the announcement that a new wave of Rebirth titles is expected in February, some of which deal with the fallout of the event, including the long-awaited Justice League of America. So that is what we can expect come December. Yeah, you got a Suicide Squad movie, you got a Justice League movie coming, no surprise. All right, and then our other bit of news, also from September 1st, uh, full details for Batman Day were revealed. Um, if you aren't familiar with what Batman Day is, Batman Day is basically a in some ways, a marketing day for DC Comics to market Batman products. Um, but this year, it's September 17th. Uh, if you head to your local comic shop, you can also get a f- uh, this online. But the free issue that they will be handing out will be Batman number 1 from DC Rebirth, uh, written by Tom King. This is, uh, this is uh, going to not only be available in local comic shops, it will also be available in Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million, Six Flags, amusement parks across the country, um, public libraries, uh, schools. We're going to be hosting fan events. There's also a digital sale that will be taking place for a, a ridiculous amount of uh, not only single issues, but also um, trade paperbacks, uh, ebooks that will be available, that will be on sale during that uh, that day as well. Um, there will also be a ton of signings if you want full details on some of the stuff that's going to be on sale, as well as who and where the signings will take place. Uh, you can take a look at the website for full details. We'll get some free Batman stuff. And with that, the only other thing uh, worth noting on the website is there is a DC All Access video, uh, James Tynan, talking about Detective Comics, if you want to check that out. And with that, that is all of our news. So we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And the first one we have is Batman. Batman number five, I am Gotham, part five. Writer Tom King, pencils David Finch, ink Sandra Hope, Matt Banning and Scott Hanna, and colors Jordi Belair. Gotham, the superhero, is in the middle of the city about to destroy it when Alfred dons the bat suit and talks to an imaginary Thomas Wayne about being entrusted with the care of Bruce and how, of course, nothing's going to happen to them that he would be needed. As he continues uh, his monologue, he drives the Batmobile straight into the city square and rams Gotham. Gotham confronts Alfred and demands to know what is a man in a mask. He's a little off his rocker at this point. Alfred runs off and Batman appears, the actual Batman. 
Gotham doesn't think Batman can touch him until Batman hits him with a plane. <laughs> Batman then contacts Alfred and tells him to make a call. The Justice League appears. At the Batcave, Duke and Claire, shipper, watch as the fight rages on. Claire is both scared, of course, because of Psycho Pirate, and angry because she can't help her brother, and she takes it out on poor Jason Todd's uh, uniform. Unless that was Dick's. She reveals that she and her brother bought their powers. But it wasn't powers for life. It was life for powers. So when they use their powers and how much they use their powers, uh, they can or they will lose years off of their life. So they can be a Superman for years or a god for a few hours. So the more power you use, the more it drains your life force. In the midst of the, oh, so of course, you know, this connects because Gotham is acting like a god. He's fighting all the Justice League, so he's probably going to die pretty soon. In the midst of the giant battle, Batman says that the city is just brick and concrete and that it didn't kill his parents. But if Gotham wants to punish someone for being weak and afraid and constantly failing, then he should kill Batman because Batman is Gotham. Gotham is about to deal the fatal blow when Gotham Girl pulls him away and seemingly kills him after a brief mid-air battle. Throughout this scene, we learn that this is a crucial moment in history, which leads Bruce to do some dubious things. Claire kills Bruce, and Duke and Claire get married. So this is basically the scene here, the death of Batman, or the beginning of it, the death of Batman and the origin of Gotham Girl. Next up, Gotham Girl, year one. <laughs> um, where to begin? Uh, I'll save the, fu the future thing is going to be a question, so I'll save that for a second. So last issue, I uh, was a little unsettled by... I guess the composition of the issue and how pieces were working together. And here we have several different pieces again that are a little strange if you think about them out of context. You know, Alfred is putting on a Batman suit. The Justice League appears, even though they were, remember, off on mission in the very beginning and couldn't help him. And then, of course, Claire, um, her revelation of how they got their powers, what it means, and then her killing her brother. So... In comparison to the last issue, how do all these pieces fit together for you as well as um, wrap up potentially this, uh, this story arc? As far as if, you, if you're focusing on Gotham, I think that this is probably the way we all saw it coming to begin with. Um, I mean, this isn't the issue that he kind of – he obviously goes off the deep end. That was last issue, and we knew that was probably going to happen one way or the other. We didn't assume that, you know, he was just going to be fine. Um, so knowing that he switched over to basically being a villain, Batman has to take him down. We've got to bring in the Justice League, which it seems weird because they, it seems like they made a bigger deal about the Justice League having to be brought in than they previously have had to done or have had to do. Um, meaning like the fact that uh, Alfred's like, oh, you know, are you sure? We've never asked them to come inside of Gotham. Is this really the, the best, you know, is this really the best thing that we need to do? Which was interesting because they're building it up as if, you know, Batman does not want the presence of the Justice League in Gotham City at all. And, you know, if they have been around, he doesn't want them to be around. And it, it 
kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about you know the you have superpower beings in Gotham City. It leads to potentially other superpower beings coming to Gotham City. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the reason. Honestly, I mean, the only thing I have a problem with is the fact that like conveniently, the powers are explained, but are the downfall of the character. And and when I say that is, you know, we we're five issues in. We've been introduced to these characters. And we don't really know their power set other than they have Superman-like powers. And now it just she so does happens... Say, just to step on you for a bit, she did say that it was invulnerability, super strength, and like the eye beams when she's explaining what they got. Right, but wasn't that this issue? Yes. Yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, oh okay. You mean up till now? Uh, yeah, up to now they haven't okay. explained it, and now they've explained it. But it's his downfall is now that we've got the explanation of what the power sets are. But as far as the explanation of you know what the you know what his power set is and how they got their powers, it just seems slightly convenient that the the you know he's going to get taken down by the fact that there's a flaw in their power set that mm-hmm. we just discover in this this issue. That's the only problem I have. It's not that big of a deal, honestly, because. You know, I can see the reason why you would go about doing it like that. It's to build suspense. You know, is there a way to even take down these characters to begin with? We don't know it. We don't know it. Now we know it. Now now they get taken down. So clearly that's what they were going for. That's what Tom King was going for when he wrote the story. Honestly, I don't have any major issues with the way it was wrapped up other than this thing that I'm sure we'll talk about with Gotham Girl in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was fine. It was nice to have the powers kind of fleshed out. Like, this is what we get. And, and how they... How they use them, or how how they can tap in on their powers, I think was was kind of an interesting, you know, little little twist on stuff. Of you know, you could have a lot of powers, or and, and it does explain why they didn't use their powers all the time. So I thought that was fun, um, different. I can't remember anything quite like that. And there's been some variations of the, you know, using your powers drains your life force type deal over the years. But um, I think this was this was interesting. Um, you know, when we first started this, I thought that, that they would both end up being bad guys, not like this. But I just figured they were, you know, different than this. So I, I like actually how this ended up because I thought they'd be like a traditional villain. Like they were trying to trick everyone and they were going to try to carry off an armored car or whatever. Uh, so this was this was different. Um, and, yeah, no, I, I like this. It was it was simple. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the greatest thing ever, but it was is easy and it was fleshed out. And I think he had to get rid of Gotham, honestly. It looks like Gotham Girl is going to be – taking the um, forefront for a while in, in, in this comic. So if we're going to do that, we, we kind of need to get rid of Gotham, and I think that this kind of kind of made sense. Yeah, I don't know if I expected, you know, going into it, that Gotham Girl would be the one to take the lead because it's very ironic given how their whole origin story and the fact that really it's Gotham's origin story and she was just emulating her brother and wanting to do what he was doing and you know in the backdrop of everything you know holding the bridge up all this stuff like clearly she was not as well prepared as he was and he always had to sort of talk to her and I think she had sort of the youthful optimism, but she was also naive. So it's interesting that it went this route, and tragic as well that she was the one who had to end Gotham. As for, uh, you know, all the pieces that came together with Alfred, Duke was playing a big part, and then, you know, the Justice League comes in. It cements in my mind the fact that this, in my opinion, was not a Batman story. Batman played a part, but it wasn't his story. Uh, I feel like he really 
was on the back seat the entire time. Um, he, he was, it's kind of like a director almost, uh, or you know, someone who is moving the parts around or helping other people out. But it wasn't him taking the lead and other people following. It was like he's setting up the the situations and then he's popping in at like the most convenient time, which ended up being at the end. I don't know what happened at the Justice League. I guess they were destroyed and we'll never see of them again. And there he is. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, but seriously, he's there at the end. And he's like, hey, take me. Uh, but that's just, I, I don't know how it's going to change now with, with everything. But for me, this just wasn't a Batman story. So it's interesting to see how these pieces align and, and kind of cement that for me. So the other big thing, and I thought it was huge. I think I probably read it three to five times to like be clear in my mind what is going on. This future that is narrated by Claire, who has all of a sudden leaped out in front, and this is this huge character. And while I did have some like you know shipping, I didn't get like full on butterflies, but I was like, there, there's something going on here, uh, potentially in some future. Duke and Claire get married, but then, you know, Bruce loses it somehow. Claire kills him, but I guess Duke's okay with it because they're still married. And this is sort of the the beginning of the end of something. So, what are you? This is huge, quite honestly. So, what are your thoughts on this? And do you have any theories as as you were reading through this? Well, I have to say the the last few pages were slightly confusing the first read through because mm-hmm. they kept jumping back and forth between Batman talking to Gotham and right. Gotham Girl talking to Duke. And then I, I actually thought because of the way it was laid out, they were supposed to be going back and forth. I actually thought that Batman was talking to like hearing what Gotham Girl was saying and responding, but then it didn't make any sense. And then I, you know, after the the second read through. I realized that there were just two separate scenes happening at the exact same time, and they were just trying to get across that they were happening at the same time, and that's why it was laid out the way it was, even though it didn't necessarily make – probably wasn't laid out. It shouldn't have been laid out the exact that exact same way. But anyway, um, so the last page, you know, we have Gotham Girl Year One coming. The, this is the beginning of the origin of Gotham Girl and the death of Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What in the world are we going to with this? Um, I don't have I, – I will say this. I think it's a little too early for me to make any speculations as to what we're going to see. Um, but it's weird because it, it doesn't feel like whatever she's referring to when she says, you know, this is how it all started. This is this is how uh, – this is after Bruce did what he did, after he died, how he died, after, after I killed him, I mean. It, it seems like maybe – just maybe, my only speculation on this is going to be, could she have gone a little cuckoo? And maybe she's wrapped up inside of her head thinking that she killed Batman and she's off married to Duke and living a happily ever after life, but really she's in Arkham mm. in the nut house. Because I don't know how they could get to this without like just doing like a hypo- you know, a hy- hypothetical story set into the future because how are they ever going to get to this? Like, okay, fine. Her marrying Duke. I mean, obviously they were setting up the fact that the two of them are going to have some sort of relationship in some way, you know, who knows how far it's going to go, but like they'll have some sort of relationship just because of this tragic situation that they were both involved in. But at the same time, 
Like, it seems like we're not going to be reading The Marriage of Duke and Gotham Girl next month or, you know, in, in six months at that in that matter. So I don't see that happening, especially since I don't know that the, the plans for Duke, at least the way Snyder has plans for Duke, are going to fall in line with Duke getting married to Gotham Girl and, you know, living off and, you know, going off into the sunset. So I honestly feel like maybe she's going cuckoo, but... The, the real real part of it is that it was a very confusing read these these last few pages and I felt like other than the explanation of she's just she's gone a little nuts I don't know how else this 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 is going to end up being explained well I think that the proof may be in the pudding here with your idea and I, I mean the bad guy in this is Hugo strange or not the bad guy but we've seen Hugo in the background what's he kind of known for right? Messing with people's minds. Oh yeah. Um, so I I could very much see this being Hugo's influence, maybe a, a suggestion he planted in her head when we were dealing with Hugo and, and Gotham and Gotham Girl before. That kind of um, mental thing really does seem like the type of thing that that Hugo would be behind. So um, yeah, I, I I think I'm kind of there with you. I'm not sure exactly how it happens, but I think the idea of Hugo Arkham her bananas, something like that um, is where it's going to be. I have to say, I didn't didn't mind the last couple pages where they wrote. The way I kind of looked at it was, it was a lot like watching a movie in the background with a commentary track, if that makes any sense. You know, like, the action was going on, but the, the real action was, was the overlaid commentary, which um, I thought was actually kind of clever way to do it. It, it did feel a little jarring. Um, Maybe if there had been a panel, because there, there's nothing that really it just starts. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you don't get like a a panel of her in the future sitting with Duke and uh, you know in, in the backyard growing hot dogs or something, talking about the day that you know all this started. So it is a little jarring. But I you know once I kind of figured out what was going on for a second, I was like, what what's happening? You know. Uh, but once I figured out, I thought it was kind of kind of cute. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I think that Hugo's got a part to this. And somehow this will all tie together because next issue is the last one of the story arc, if I'm correct. If, I think six is the last one. Um, yeah, but it's actually supposed to be like an epilogue issue. So this is technically uh-huh. the actual end. Next one's supposed to be just dealing with Gotham Girl. That's why the the at least the the cliffhanger note says the origin of Gotham Girl or Gotham Girl Year One. So it's supposed to be an epilogue to this. But yeah. Hmm. I could see the men in little white coats coming to get her too. That would make sense. Um, yeah, I think you know certainly the devil's in the details and the fact that there are two crucial people that are not seen in this issue, and that's Hugo Strange and Psycho Pirate. And we do already know that Gotham Girl is damaged, uh, as we've seen the entire time she's been in the cave. She's been freaking out and um, somewhat frightening. To, uh, to to Duke, uh, though we get some fun moments for him. You know, part of me wondered, wouldn't it be, like, really trippy if we are not in the canonical universe of DC right now and Batman does get killed off? You know, like, what if right now we're reading a book that is in an alternate universe and it won't be revealed until later? Is that at all possible? Because that'd be like a good, that'd be, I, I, I can see people being upset at it, but you would be like, whoa, what is going on? And then, I don't know, something brings it back. So that's something that I thought about. And I also did think about sort of the Detective Comics 666, um, where you saw, like, 
Damien and all that jazz. But, I mean, is it possible that we could be reading something set in an alternate uh, storyline? I'm going to say no. <laughs> you want just, it to be Just now. because I don't, yeah. Just because yeah. I don't want it to be that. I mean, okay. I mean, is it entirely possible? I mean, I wouldn't say anything is impossible. So, mm-hmm. I mean... In that regards, sure, it's it's possible, but I really don't think that they would do that. I mean, like, especially with at least the way things are com- connecting a little bit more so during the New 52. Now, if we were to say this in New 52 and suddenly someone was like, hey, what if we just woke up tomorrow, picked up a comic book, and it said that everything just happened in five years was somewhere else? I would have been like that would explain everything. And then mm-hmm. it would have been worked. But I don't want that to necessarily happen now. I mean, Batman isn't necessarily connecting to as many of these other titles as as uh, you know, as Detective Comics and some of the other DC titles. But I don't necessarily want it to something like that to happen now because they're, things are feeling more connected than they've been in like six years. I don't think they would do it, but I think the idea of doing it is kind of fun, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I think that could be—I think that could be one where, like, I mean, of course, like half of the world would collectively lose its mind, but half the world collectively loses its mind every time something happens, anyway. So, you know, that doesn't—that doesn't really bother me. Uh, I think that would be a fun one to do. Do something story where just terrible things happen and everyone dies, and the end, be like, oh yeah, this happened on Earth 176 or whatever it is. Um, I think it'd be fun. I don't think they would do it here just because this is the, coming right out of the shoot for Rebirth. Um, but I do think it's a pretty fun idea. So if, if anybody listening has any pull, go ahead and write a story that totally screws with us and then just blame it on an alternate universe at the end and you have my permission, whatever that's worth. Well, we do see that Alfred can clearly be Batman, so we've got to oh, stand absolutely. in if we need be. Hey, final quick question. Um, without her being affected by Psycho Pirate, do you see Claire as a potential love interest for Duke? Uh, I mean, it's entirely possible. Like I was saying, I think that, you know, it's, you know, outside of the idea of, you know, maybe she's gone, you know, crazy, put that aside for a second and just look at the situation that they're currently in. You know, this is a horrible situation. She's going to be, she's going to have some massive, massive PTSD after the situation. Mm -hmm. The fact that she has to put her brother down and, you know, prior to this, having to not be involved with the fact that her brother is, is gone as, you know, he's off the deep end too. And in turn, she can't do anything about it because she's, you know, she's too emotionally distraught because of the attack on herself from Psycho Pirate. And the only way she can connect to what's going on is through Duke Thomas. There's going to be a connection there. Like I said, I don't know how, how, how far it's going to go, but... That that line of like, oh, well, eventually Duke and I get married, you know, it's entirely possible. I mean, maybe that is, you know, she doesn't go nuts and that's not what happens. Maybe maybe that is, you know, what ends up happening because these two are linked together. Like they always talk about, you know, I don't know why I said they because I couldn't tell you who they are. But the when you see characters or people in general who have uh, been have have been in a horrible, horrible situation and they kind of have a relationship. If it's two people who have been in the exact same situation, you see that they have a relationship that, you know, you have survivor groups where people who survive horrific attacks and things like that, they go to and they, they trade stories with other people who experience the exact same things. Because in some ways, there's a, you can have a connection. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic connection, but 
it, it could lead to it being a romantic connection. And I think that this is definitely something that could happen. I mean, who is she going to turn to after this? Her parents are dead. Her brother's dead. The only person that she has interacted with over the last couple of issues has been Duke. So I'm, I wouldn't put it past as a possibility. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that works. I mean, the, the reality is, even for Duke, who we have more history with than uh, than Gotham Girl, we don't know that much about Duke. I and mean, we know the history with his parents and the We Are Robin stuff. Um, but Duke's still a, new, a newer character. Um, I can't recall him having a, a long-term love interest before. Um, I think this would be fine. Um, both newer characters, again, I, I think that any serious development with, with Duke's character would probably happen in Snyder's book. But, I mean... Um, there's also no reason that, that Gotham Girl couldn't appear in Snyder's book. So, um, yeah, I actually think this would work pretty good as a couple. I mean, you have a Robin and a superhero, assuming that she'll stay on some kind of superhero capacity. So, yeah, I could see these two together. They seem close enough in age that it's not weird. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I thought, like I said, you know, I kind of got a shipping vibe from this particular issue. And he's been really sweet. I'd, I've loved seeing a different side to him and, and really wanting to be there and care for her. And then someone having to pull him away and saying, well, you've got to keep your eye on the mission. And, you know, some things come first. So it, it's been nice to see that. I told you not, you know, full on butterflies yet. But I'm hoping that she isn't, you know, cuckoo because it would be nice, you know, for him to have something nice and beautiful in his life because he has gone through uh, so much yeah, and, tragedy. And, and, exactly. And then you, then you compare, yeah, the, the fact that he's experienced his own set of tragedies you know, not not exactly now, but very, very recently. A year ago? Um, in, in I mean, time, even maybe? if it was a, I don't even yeah, know that it would have been close. a year ago. I mean, like, yeah. his parents are gone because of a horrible situation that has also occurred. So, I mean, like, there's going to be those connections. All right, so Batman, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five. I'm going to give it three out of five. I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of five. And over on the website, Matthew gave it four and a half, so that's going to give Batman number five a total of three and a half out of five. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 939, written by... James Tynion, art by Eddie Barrows. The issue starts off with a flashback of Gotham City many years ago at the funeral of Martha and Thomas. And uh, we see that uh, Jacob is uh, upset with Thomas because his sister is, is, has been killed. And he blames Thomas for walking through the alley as to why his sister is now dead. Um, as his wife is comforting him and tells him to remember that there is still somebody left that it was linked to his sister... Uh, meaning Bruce Wayne, we see that uh, Kate walks up to Bruce and gives him kind of like a a pep cheer talk, not cheer talk, but a pep talk, you know, to <laughs> let him understand. It's like a cheer wine talk. Let's talk and then a pep cheer talk. Cheer wine. Yeah, well, I, I don't know what any of that is, but I'm just going to keep going. And give me old um, Vince Lombardi. Yeah. Yeah, a pep talk. Uh, pep talk, which is basically, you know, it's okay to cry. You still have family. I am your family. Um, You know, that's that. And then we cut to the present time where we find out that uh, Batman and the team have taken back the Belfry. Um, We find out that Tim Drake has some crazy, crazy ideas, including uh, glass that can uh, replace itself. 
uh, absolutely bonkers, but at the same time, so Tim Drake. Um, we see that uh, Bat- Batwoman says that she needs to talk to Batman. Uh, Tim Drake has a conversation with Spoiler that uh, he says that he's actually going to uh, take the project at Ivy University um, that we talked about issues and issues ago, and he says he's going to give up being Red Robin for the time being. Um, as he says this, uh, we see uh, spoilers say, you know, well, the, the question is, are you going to, when are you going to tell Batman? And he says, whenever we get done finishing all of this stuff with the colony. We then cut to Batman talking to Batwoman and Batwoman explaining that she's convinced that, she, that Batman knew all along that her father was involved with it. And she doesn't understand why he didn't tell her. He explains Here's the reality. I, yes, I recruited you because I thought your father was involved and I did want to recruit you first. I never once lied to you because I told you nothing but the truth. I just didn't tell you all of what I knew um, because I was worried that possibly you could give your father a heads up or that your father could flip you if, uh, because I, I, did, I, under, I, I overestimated your relationship with your father. She explains, that's fine, but if we're to keep doing this, you can't do this again. You need to tell me everything. Uh, we then see that Batman has uh, told Alfred to get him the black line, um, which is a direct line to the President of the United States. Uh, he explains that uh, there is a covert branch of the military that the President is unaware of, but Batman needs to make him aware of it. We see that... Tim Drake is sitting in front of the computer talking about uh, the general's handiwork and how it's very clever, but it it's, uh, well, basically he discovers some horrific information, which is that the drone attack that we saw being enacted in the end of the last issue is happening, and the drones are headed straight to Gotham City to take out the 20-something targets that uh, the colonel believes is part of the League of Shadows. Um, as Batman discusses with the team what they're going to do, um, it doesn't really make a difference whether or not the League of Shadows actually exists or not, because the drone attacks are going to potentially, even though they're only meant to take out 20 people, um, they're going to kill a number of innocents, racking up to potentially 600 people due to just the, the type of attack that's going to occur. So Batman says, we're going to stop it. We see the drones heading towards Gotham City um, from the harbor, and we see Colonel Kane telling the general to get moving. Uh, the general says that Batman and the team are on the move. We see Batman burst through a window, and it turns out it's not Batman, it's Clayface. He's trying to convince them to leave their house, but no one's leaving, so he turns back into Clayface, scares them straight out of their their apartment so that uh, they're no longer there. Uh, we then see... Um, uh, orphan go to another building which appears to be like a homeless shelter or an orphanage of some sort not completely aware of what it is but she sets off a fire alarm which sets the sprinklers off which causes everybody to leave. We see Batman the real Batman that is and Batwoman uh, perched on a rooftop when uh, the general says we can we can have half the drones go towards Batman and Batwoman, he says no, get them out of there. We or get those drones out of there. We don't want the drones to move. Uh, they need to go onto the second target. We'll come back to Batman and Batwoman later on, leading us to believe that of course the colonel does not want Batwoman to be taken out. Uh, we then see uh, spoiler uh, the the uh, drones are headed towards spoiler's target. And she's not super convinced that she's going to be able to stop what's about to occur. Um, because of that, uh, we see Tim 
he takes it upon himself to say he's going to stop this. He actually reworks the code that causes the drones to go after a singular target, um, specifically himself at the Belfry. As the drones approach the Belfry, um, you, the general is, is taken aback. He can't figure out how to decode them. Spoiler starts freaking out that Tim is, is doing this and tells Batman he needs to get back to the Belfry and take, take you know, help help uh, Tim, who's about to take on all of these drones. Batman starts towards the uh, Belfry and uh, seemingly waiting to get, you know, waiting to, you know, to help. Uh, Robin, Tim Drake goes to the balcony or the rooftop, it appears, and he stands there saying that it's just math. He can, he can do this. It's a thought problem. He's going to be able to take them all out and the issue ends with him saying let's dance uh next up the red badge of courage right so this issue there's a lot that takes place in this issue last month was felt or last issue felt like more of a transitional issue uh getting us from one place to the other this not not as much there's clearly this is feels like we're going into the third act here um so the first thing i want to talk about is the the tim drake situation in some ways Knowing how the issue ends, you have to wonder to yourself if the entire Ivy University special projects was brought up as a way to foreshadow the fact that Tim is going to be in some dire situation towards the end of the issue. Hindsight 2020, that is basically what it is, but you wouldn't know that going in. Um, So let's talk about two things related to Tim Drake. One, the potential of Tim Drake giving up the mantle of Red Robin to go to school. And two... Uh, Tim Drake deciding that he potentially is sacrificing himself for the greater good of Gotham, these innocent people, and the team. Let's talk about those two things. And this is this is kind of interesting here. So we have we have the team, and we have you know the greater good here. And I'm not really sure if we know you know what is going on with with Tim's plan yet. To be honest with you, um, I mean my assumption is he thinks he's doing the right thing here, but I really you know. The numbers are wholly stacked against him, unless I'm I'm missing something. Um, I'm assuming there's going to be some kind of last minute ditch effort, and 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 I kind of wonder if he could hack into the systems of the drones. Couldn't he send them somewhere else except to attack him? Um, that doesn't seem like the best idea I've ever seen in the world. In fact, it sounds like a fairly terrible one. Again, I'm not a computer programmer. I can barely use my own adequately half the time. Um, I'm good with Excel, but that's about it. Um, so, yeah, maybe here you just, you know, I didn't understand the whole plan here. Like I said, I thought that if you could hack in the system, there had to be a million other things you could you could have done with it. But um, I guess he is, you know, putting his own effort above his own life above that of the team, which seems good, although he is getting ready to leave uh, and go off to do the um, college project. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure, but I guess it does show that that's what he's doing. So I am an infant in terms of, well, maybe I'm a toddler, in terms of Tim Drake reading history. I just did Legacy, so that can kind of tell you where I am. Now, so in my short history and reading of him, though, I feel like he he is very similar to Batman, though his ideologies may differ slightly. And the reason I say this is I think he's completely willing to sacrifice himself if that's what you know if that's what it 
comes down to. But I also feel like he's got some sort of thing up his sleeve. Like when they come to him, B is going to happen, right? Some Something's going to happen. That's what I can totally see. In regards to what Ed was saying about, you know, why not just send it, I don't know, to like – like a suicide thing Chilly. and yeah. yeah or you know dump them in the Gotham River or whatever I feel like they had to have some sort of attack mission and it had to be after a biological and so he figured that he would have been um, the safest one now if it were me I would have sent it after the Joker but um, that's why people <laughs> don't write comic books about me but uh, no I just think that he's intelligent and I, I, I completely think that he would sacrifice himself for, for you know all these living beings but I also think that when they come to him he's got some sort of plan I, I don't think we'll see him go down without a fight both physical and mental in regarding um, his school I don't think he, I mean, the way it reads, obviously, right, is that he's going to drop the red, what? The red Robin, I was going to say Red Hood. The red Robin guys and be Tim Drake, full-time student. But I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think whether there is a deep conversation between him and Bruce or, you know, something that... I think he will go, and I think it'll be more interesting storytelling if he does go to the school. But I think it will be great if he has, you know, the dual identity. Um, and I know he's done this before, but the Robin that I'm more comfortable talking about it for is Dick Grayson when he went to Hudson University, and of course he was still doing some things um, as Robin. So I think. You know, he's going to go to school because I think that's important to him. I, I think given all of this stuff that we've been talking about, all the not just the money things, but all the tech and gadgetry and ideas that he has, you need something to foster that. And I think he's one of these, you know, these I'm a teacher. So one of these people that you would love to have as a student who just loves to learn. And I think in order to foster that creativity, he needs to go somewhere uh, that can challenge him and push him on to be uh, a better thinking human being as well as just a general human being but I think also that there's this part of him that also wants to help give back um, physically not as not only with his his money and tech know-how so I'm, I'm gonna sort of um, chafe on the fence there and say it's it's going to be both he's going to be Robin and Red Robin and be a student and I think that's probably what's going to end up happening too. I feel like something's going to happen where maybe Tim takes a slight back seat where he's not going out on patrol, but he is manning stuff from the Belfry for the team. Special projects. Yeah, 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 something like that where you know he's not on the front lines because he is going to school every day because he wants to go to school and Batman wants to make it work where Tim's still involved. Um, and that that's basically the what ends up happening is that they come to this agreement that 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 you know Tim is going to take more of like you know an oracle role within the team and stay at the belfry rather than being out and about on patrol. Um, I think that you know that's probably what's going to end up happening. The other part of this is that. Um, you know, at the end, you know, he's taking on these bad drones. I don't think for a second that we're going to like cut to the next issue and it's going to be a situation like we've seen multiple times with Cassandra where she, you know, goes into a room filled with 20 something guys and she takes every single one of them out just and the next time we see it, 
It's just the the rooms with her and twenty guys. The next time we see it, when the next panel comes up, she's she's taking them all out. I don't think this is going to turn into oh, it does it in any way. But I also feel like there probably is something more to the plan rather than just you know him sacrificing himself. Maybe it is something where he's going to fake his death because then the target will be eliminated and then you know the drones you know are no longer active because their target has been eliminated there's got to be something um the other thing i want to talk about is this the the family elements between kate kane and bruce wayne because i brought this up i don't remember her i don't think it was last issue i feel i feel like it was either last issue or the issue before that but the idea that you know there's this rivalry between the Waynes and the Canes, it's existed since even before the New 52 when they first brought back Kate Kane. They've talked about the fact, even not even in books that deal with Batwoman, but you know Gates of Gotham, uh, which was a mini series right before the New 52 that released, talked about how there was always a rivalry between the Waynes and the Canes. Um, Streets of Gotham was another series uh, that talked about the rivalry between the Canes and the Waynes. Um, these, this element, you know, one, other than just having this extended history between the two families of just them not liking each other, the fact that this issue actually kind of delves into that, I, and I said this, like I was saying, either last episode or the issue before that, that um, the fact that we're getting some hints at to, as to what it is, because that's a huge element. The fact that Kate and Bruce are both related, they're cousins, yet they've inter- they don't really interact with each other. Is that because of the strain of the Wayne Kane rivalry? Is it because her father had didn't want her to have anything to do with Bruce when she was a kid? Uh, you know, we see that nice scene, that nice touching scene at the beginning of the issue during the funeral for his parents. That's another aspect that, you know, you don't really see. Um, you know, we see most of the time we see them standing at the gravestones or something like that. Um, but we don't see a ceremony dealing with the fact that Bruce does have other family. And the fact that they're kind of doing more, developing the, the relationship between the two of them a little bit more, I think is great because there's a whole aspect there that I think is plenty of story potential. But the other part of it is I want to see even more than what we have seen, but it feels like that's where we're, the direction we're going to go. Um, something's going to happen. This story's going to get wrapped up with the colony, but I feel like because Kate and Batman are so closely related to what's going on in the story, we are going to start to see, like, you know, why is it that they haven't talked and Batman ha- didn't approach her when she started really working in Gotham? Are we going to see, like, you know, why... Because even though in the New 52 we've seen Batman interact very briefly with Batwoman, are we going to see more of why they haven't really interacted? Why there was so such a disconnect between the two of them? Was it only because of her father? You know, things like that. And I think this issue, they, they did a really good job of like showing some of those things. So, you know, do you guys feel like we, you want to see more of the family elements between the two of them? Or do you feel like we've gotten what we need? I think that we should expand the, I mean, the fact that Kate is a member of, not just the Batman family. God, I'm doing it again with the air quotes. With it, not, <laughs> I keep doing that. No one could see me. Not that she's just a member of the Batman family, which is in which we think of as the Robins and Batgirl. And all, but she's literally a member of Batman's family. Um, yeah, of course they should develop her more. I, I think that the cop-out answer is, for a long period of time, Kate Kane didn't exist. 
in modern continuity until 52. Um, but but since then, in her them not doing more in the new 52, we can always ex- subscribe to the idea of that's when they were trying to shy away from all personal involvement. Um, but now that we're back in like a normal status quo, yes, of course, she's Bruce's actual cousin. They have a, a, a real history, at least from what we've seen here. This is more of a history than I guess anyone besides Alfred uh, would have with Bruce. Um, she's also a crime line fighting vigilante that wears a bat on her, on her chest. Yes, of course. <laughs> she should become a, a staple. I mean, we should. What I would like to see some more scenes of is her and Bruce out of costume. Um, even if it's something as simple as Alfred making dinner for the two of them at Wayne Manor, or you know what I'm saying? Like, let's see a little bit of these two starting to interact at, at a costume. Um, yeah, yes, we should see much more of Kate, in my opinion. I also think that Kate and Bruce are two characters that are tied together in terms of being characters that their history or their past is very important. And I, I, you know, some people be like, well, wait, everybody's past is important. And I, I, I agree with you there. But I think for the most part, the majority of characters just like they move forward and it's more about, you know, growth and development and future. But for Bruce, it, it always goes back to that night in the alley, right? He can never leave that behind. And I think for Kate, what we have seen in her first Detective Comics run, what we saw in her Batwoman run, I think what we're starting to see again in this Detective Comics run is that her change, her development as a person is is really tied to uh, her past. And I don't think she will ever be able to move beyond that. I think something will always harken back to that, whether it's her sister Beth, whether it's her mother's death, um, the lies that her her father um, <laughs> perpetuated, <laughs> you know, for a while. I think this is something that is an interesting uh, character dynamic that that ties the two together, and because we have. Um, <laughs> Rhyming family names, uh, I think absolutely that this is important that we develop this just more. And it was great to see that in this issue that we um, see a little bit why the father does not like <laughs> or, he, you know, he's a little upset with uh, Bruce and, and, well, I guess more so Thomas, but probably he he doesn't like Bruce as much either. And I think that wet our appetites a little bit and I think it gave us some motive and and more insight into his character. Why can't I remember his name? It's Jake, right? Yeah, Jacob, yeah. Okay. I don't know why, but I keep thinking of something else. So anyway, but uh so I, I think they were great scenes, but I think they do have to carry forward. At the same time though, the danger with that is this is a Batman family book and we can't, however much I love her, we cannot just focus on Kate. So I think, you know, when the when the time comes I don't know if that's this arc or, or what have you, but when the time comes, you kind of need to move on because you can't, even though she is the focal point, obviously, because her father's the antithesis to her. He's the anti-hero or antagonist, and she's the leader. Um, it would be unfortunate to leave the other characters 
in the dust, you know, maybe not Clayface, but you know, we are developing and, and this is Rebirth, so you do want to see where the other characters stand in this new universe or what have you. But uh, I'm, I enjoyed it and uh, <laughs> once you started saying the Waynes and the Canes, I started coming up with a rap. So that is probably going to appear sometime, <laughs> maybe not on your show because I don't think you'll allow it, but I'm, I'm coming up with something. I like it. <laughs> All right, so um, my my uh, my last quick comment, or not comment, but question that I want to ask is, and I I don't, and and maybe I already asked this the last episode because I do remember discussing the fact of who's right, who's wrong between, um, you know, uh, Jacob and Bruce, who's right between the two of them, is the League of Shadows real? But like, I feel like we're going to be getting this answer probably in the next episode. So real quick, just do you think the League of Shadows is a real thing or do you think it's a myth like Batman says? So basically you're siding with one or the other. I think uh, it's real because of the weird dude with black eyes. The weird dude with black – oh, that thing. Yeah. I wondered about that. I was yeah, like, I is that a mistake? Because he's right there in our focal point. You asked this of us last time, too. Oh, I did? I, okay. I went on, well, well, you just said, like, do you believe one or the other? And we were like, well, I think there's going to be part right and part wrong. Um, I, I'm going to say that, yes, they do exist. Yeah, and I think I'm also going to have to change because I think I was on the lines of Batman's probably right, but I think in this situation, Colonel Kane is probably going to be right, and there are some people, specifically, like Ed said, because of that guy with the black eyes. That's a creepy-looking um, dude, right? Because he just came yeah. out of nowhere, and the fact that, like, Cassandra, like, Cassandra, the last show, the last time they show him, Cassandra's, like, kind of appearing like she's glancing back at him because he's not leaving, and I thought to myself, there's something off with this person. And I was thinking, wait, is this somebody who's, like, been embedded by the colony? I was like, no, that wouldn't make any sense. So... Yeah, I, I'm going to say Kane's probably right. Batman's going to probably look like a moron when this is all said and done, um, especially since he decided to call the president. He's going to look like an idiot. But, um, yeah, that's probably why Kane doesn't end up going to jail because he is right. He just was going to an extreme that he shouldn't have been. But, yeah. Okay, so Detective Comics, I'm going to give a total four out of five. Yeah, it's really good. Four out of five. Four out of five. And Ian over on the website gave it four as well, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 939 a total of four out of five batarangs. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to Greater Gotham. Uh, the first week we have is the week of August 17th. Uh, first off, main TBU books included, as we've already talked about, Batman number five. Also, Nightwing number three, Nightwing ventures to a house of someone who lent a hand in, the, in a Parliament of Owls hideout, along with Raptor and Batgirl. After a fight ensues between Raptor and Nightwing, Batgirl leaves warning Dick that he is getting too close to going off the edge. This was reviewed by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Um, thumbs up. Dick and Babs, my one true pair. Why do things like this have to happen to me? It's, I don't even know. Do you, here's a question for you. We, I guess we shouldn't get into discussion points, but do you think that Babs is in the right or in the wrong, um, 
sort of uh, calling him out and being like, you like this, this, you know, that kind of thing. What do you think? I mean, what did you have any? You said thumbs up, so you apparently like this issue. No, I and like the issue I as a whole. Like, do, yeah. I, do I like the fact that Batgirl is basically, in some ways, being cast off in a book that's not even her own from the relationship yeah. of Dick and Babs? Yeah. No, no, I don't. But well, I think the problem is that th- that's why this is actually important, is because she's the she's the way of like showing that he is getting too close to this stuff, you know, whether it was with Spiral and how involved and how close to everything he actually became. This is just another one of those situations. And she's the one who's basically like the steady baseline that's saying, listen, you're about to go, you know, off the deep end basically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're getting too close to this stuff. You're so much closer than you really should be. You know, I think that her role is the perfect role for this story. Um, but yeah, it's not it's it's not great that the two of them, you know, are at odds yet again. But I think it's it makes sense given what we're being shown in the story. I think it makes a lot of sense to be honest with you. I mean, I think this clears it up for Dick to give this one true love, Starfire. So okay, you're a terrible person. And I don't like being on the show with you. Um, you know, she wants it is her all-star Batman poster back. Yeah, I know, seriously. Ever. And the shipping. Um, the uh, <laughs> It is interesting you, you frame it like that, Dustin, just because where was Babs, you know, this time last year, right? And she was off the deep end, and it was uh, Jason Todd to sort of bring her back. Um, but I just, and I can totally see, like, her, I think out of everyone, she's not going to take his crap, and she's going to, like lay it out for him but I just don't like that like they're setting up this antagonistic you know and, and then the symbolism at the end where her um, her Mishka doll was was cracked and that was the gift that she really wanted him to get her I'm like oh this is ridiculous but I also you know I feel like this is uh, it's a good uh, Nightwing run so far I, I always love seeing him in the actual blue color so I'll give it you know a thumbs up but I am you know, the Babs thing is getting me down a little bit. All right. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number one. Batgirl and Black Canary call a truce with Huntress and have to deal with a new snake-themed villain, Asp, who belongs to a gang of snake-themed villains headed by Fennis, who is hired by the new Oracle to take out the Birds of Prey. This was reviewed by Ian. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up. Harley Quinn, number two. Harley deals with taking out the zombie apocalypse caused in the previous issue. Poison Ivy makes an appearance at the end of the story to help even the odds. This was reviewed by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 No secondary TBU books. Uh, main DC Universe books included Justice League number three as the world is in peril. Batman finds Superman to ask for help. After other world missiles rain down on Earth, Superman fin- finally agrees to help but doesn't know how to go about doing it. This is reviewed by Paul. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Uh, thumbs down. It's not great. Oh, that. What's? Say, what, I'm sorry. Say that again. Uh, thumbs down. It's not great. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It, it, it started good, then it got mediocre, and uh, here we are. Uh, not great. Uh, yeah. Thumbs down. Suicide Squad number one. The main story: Amanda Waller picks the members of the new team, and they are sent off to their first mission via a space app. 
spacecraft. The backup story features a story dealing with dead shots. Uh, this was reviewed by Corbin. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. But I do have to preface this. I'm only giving this a neutral because there was like nothing that really happened in this issue. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to, for the same reason you just did it, I'm giving it a thumbs down. It's obvious already that having to chop this up with a backup and Suicide Squad because of Jim Lee not being able to do all the art. And what he does is great. Like, he's a great artist. And what is in here is good. But this chopping up the book is leading to a very fractured book, which is a real missed opportunity with the movie coming out. So thumbs down. I will give it a neutral as well, but I feel like it's getting it, – it's got more of a classic Suicide Squad feel than, you know, the New 52 did. I agree with that. I think it is better than – I will say the Tim Seeley stuff right before the yeah. – right before Rebirth was good. That was about the only time I think any of the Suicide Squad stuff was actually pretty good. Um, all right, so then secondary DC Universe books included Injustice Gods Among Us, Year 5, number 16, which included digital chapters 31 and 32. While Batman and the Insurgency capture Cyborg, Hawkman arrives with a kryptonite mace to fight Superman. The regime arrives, however, the, and Su Superman is able to kill Hawkman when Flash takes away the mace. Green Arrow number five, Black Canary continues to be front and center in the story that sees Oliver trying to rescue both Dinah and his daughter. And then over in Superman number five, it turns out that Batman has a bat cave on the moon. Superman, along with Lois and his son Jonathan, take a trip to the lunar bat cave when they come across, uh, when they come in contact with the Eradicator. Lois ends up in the Hellbat suit to help Jonathan take down the Eradicator. Who would have thought Batman... Why does Batman need a lunar bat cave? Just in case saying, I mean, he needs to fight some Martians? I guess. I, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. I mean, I guess you could say that anything he fights in space, but then when, why does Batman need to fight anybody in space to begin with, given that he... He would die? Yeah. So. All right, so next up we have uh, our books from August 24th. Uh, main TBU books, uh, we already talked about Detective Comics number 939. Uh, Batgirl number two, Batgirl Barbara Gordon juggles MMA training and romantic tangle entanglements in Singapore. This was reviewed by Ian. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. I'm going to give it a neutral. I've heard some arguments recently that might persuade me to change my mind at some point. Neutral thumbs down. And uh, for more info... <laughs> on why I'm I'm not too happy about it, you should listen to Backward Oracle, episode 124, which will be out uh, next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, yeah. All right, so then secondary TBU books, including miniseries and digital first, Harley's Little Black Book, number four, Harley travels back in time to the time of the DC Comics Bombshells team. After teaming up with the Bombshell version of herself, they take out Hitler and shift the war to a new direction. This review by Jerry. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Main DC Universe books, Teen Titans number 23. The Teen Titans are faced with the plans of the Hive Queen. Instead of using their powers, they use Tim's intellect to win the day. This is reviewed by Jim. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, neutral. Um, neutral. Titans number two. The Titans arrive in Keystone City to find a group of fake Titans staring up the city. In the battle, it is revealed that the mastermind is Abracadabra, and it appears that he kills Garth to get to Wally West. This is reviewed by Jim. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Thumbs up. And then secondary DC Universe books, uh, Deathstroke number one, The Clock King, makes another appearance in the series. And then Six Pack and the Dog Welder, Hard Traveling Heroes number one, Catwoman has a brief cameo in the issue. 
All right. So then moving into our last set of books, which came out on August 31st, main TBU books. There were none. Uh, secondary TBU books, Harley Quinn and her gang of Harleys number five. The gang of Harleys battle super doppelgangers and robo-goats while we learn the backstory of the mysterious Harley Sin. This is reviewed by Jerry. He gave four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Gotham Academy Annual Number 1. The Detective Club is divided over the mystery of Olive's illness and the ruined chapel. Will Palomine's Vampire Theory win out, or is Colton right about Professor Powers? This is reviewed by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Thumbs up. Main DC Universe books. Uh, Just League Number 9, as we... Get caught up with the different timelines that have led to the battle with Rao and Parasite at the power plant. Wonder Woman is able to revive Superman, and the Justice League is now faced with an entire planet of superpowered Kryptonians under the power of Rao. This was reviewed by Jim. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Neutral. Neutral. Suicide Squad Special War Crimes Number 1. Amanda Waller assigns the team to save a kidnapped government official from the hands of Strike Force Europa. This was reviewed by Corbin. He gave it 2 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Secondary DC Universe Books. Uh, DC Comics Bombshells Annual Number 1. Amanda Waller tasks new agent Frankie to hunt down former operative Barbara Gordon. When Frankie discovers Babs in a swamp, she has become a vampire and formed a coven with... Enchantress and Ravager. Though initially conflicting, conflicted, Frankie persuades the Coven and Killer Croc to form a suicide squad for Waller. Earth 2 Society Annual Number 1. Huntress seeks Dick's son, John, out from an encounter with the Ultra Humanite. After returning to his father, John learns what has been motiva- motivating Dick to be Batman as it was the loss of his son. All right, and that is all of our books. With that, we're going to jump straight into our Bat Signal. We have a number of comments. The first one comes from Adam. Great to hear the podcast. I really like where you guys are at after listening for a year or so. I wanted to ask if you think that the delays are hurting Dark Knight 3. Well, I would say definitely. It's funny because we were actually just talking about this before we started recording about the fact that when is the next issue of DK3 coming. And, Ed, let's hear the update of when the next issue is coming. So the next issue, number six, is slated right now, if it doesn't get moved again, for October the 19th. And the issue after that will be the week after Christmas. So uh, December the 28th is when it's currently on the DC Comics website for, which would mean if you just look at what's going on there, you'd have to say that the final chapter would be late February, early March, if there's no more delays, which is, oh, you know, about over a year to tell the story. Oh, it, it's not about over a year. That would be like a year and a half. Is it really that? Sorry, because the first issue came out in November of uh, 2015, and it wouldn't be wrapping up until potentially March of 2017. So do, that's almost a year and a half. Do you feel like the that you, we could get uh, All Star Batman and Robin here by any way? Do you think that that could happen? Where that like the last issue just never comes? Man, I because that happened. I mean, this. Actually oh no, no, happened. no! It, it did, yeah. but the the one difference I think between the two of them is that. All-Star Batman never went into it with there's a set amount of issues. Like, later on, as time progressed, the, yeah. it, it became that, where they were like, oh, well, you know, we are going to only have this, but it was because everything was delayed over and over and over and over yeah. again. And 
the biggest thing is I think that's that's why that happened. I don't think that'll happen with this because I feel like it has you know it has wrapped up. My biggest concern is what is causing the delays. That's the thing because like Andy Kubert is not known for like slacking and and taking forever with his art. It's not art. It's Miller. I bet. Yes. But the thing is like, what does, what would Miller possibly still be working on since they had been working on this since spring of 2015, it'll be two years since they started it from the time that it'll actually end because rumors started emerging. I believe it was like April, May of 2015 and then it was announced at New York Comic Con last year as it was coming out, and then it started in November um, with the first issue. But my thing is, what could it possibly be that's making this take as long as it is? Because if it's the fact that they added those backups, you know, the little short stories, just stop that, them. Yeah, if that's it, just get rid of them because they're not adding anything to the story. They're terrible. You're sugarcoating it. They're ridiculous. What was the one about the Green Lantern and the Handmaidens? And oh this? gosh. They're terrible. They like, are. Just, there's no point to it. The last one, I had no idea what the point was. And there's like random rendezvous in the sky and kisses. It's weird. It's 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 weird. I bet you what it is. This is my own private. I have nothing to back this up except intuition. But I bet Azarello's writing the script, and then it's going to Miller, and Miller is totally screwing with the script, and it's going back to Azarello, and he's, you know what I'm saying? Like, can't you see that's what it is? Azarello writes sure, the script. It is probably what yeah. it is, but the thing is, like, I'm sorry, they 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 had plenty of time to get this under control. Like I assumed that they didn't announce it till they did because they assumed that they're just they wanted to get far enough ahead where they weren't going to run into these problems. And the fact that they ran into delays only after issue number two is just mind-boggling to me because why would they even have started with the series if they didn't have all this stuff in the can? Now, if it's something like something had to get completely rewritten midway through. And that's why, because they've decided now that there's going to be a part four or whatever, or they're going to tell a Superman story from, you know, within the same universe or whatever, like the gazillion rumors that we've heard since it was first announced, who knows what's going to happen. But if that's the reason why something's happening, that's the only explanation that would actually work is if they're just, Delaying it because they're they're prepping for something to follow it up with. Well, let's be honest. With Frank Miller, y- you should know what you're getting into. They shouldn't have even put the first issue on the shelves until they had everything for all. You know what I'm saying? Eight in house. Right, and that's be, the thing. I feel like. Yeah. I think there's. I think honestly, as 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 many bad decisions as as sometimes it feels like they make, they've made some good decisions. You know, sometimes. And it feels like at least knowing that, you know, Jim Lee, who previously worked with Frank Miller on All-Star Batman and that how that book was delayed, even though it was probably more Jim Lee than it was Frank Miller, you would think that at least one of the co-publishers of the company would have had the common sense to say, yes, we're not going to do this until it's all in the bag, which seems like that's what they would do since they worked on it for such a long period prior to it actually releasing. But the fact that like they ran into problems so quickly, the only explanation is that those backups, because they didn't announce those until like the last second. And like I said, I'm sorry, but if I'm DC, we're like, hey, Frank, your backups, like we'll put them in the future Absolute Edition, but we're done with that. Yeah. You know, it's bad. <laughs> so, but yes, to the pollsters, to our, um, the guy who asked the question, yes, we do believe that the, 
are, are hurting the uh, the momentum. And it still sells good when it comes out. So with any other book, I think I'd be hard pressed to remember what had happened. But when I was reading this question, I was like, what did happen to the other? And then I thought, oh wait, Superman was freed, and Batgirl is oh well. You know, Carrie Kelly is now Batgirl, and there is Aquaman. Like, I could kind of fit the pieces, but as it gets longer and longer, it's going to be harder and harder to remember what was going on, <laughs> so, which oh, yeah. is always – that's that's the big problem for me, especially, you know, if there are gaps. Like, what happened? And then I think that hurts it a lot. All right. So our next comment comes from D. Mayeta. I, I apologize if I pronounced that wrong. I think it sounded perfect. <laughs> Regarding the crazy high sales of All-Star, here's a possible reason why those numbers could be so high. Scott Snyder, who is doing a signing at my local shop, was offering a deal where you got a wristband to get ahead in line if you bought a pack of all five variant covers for $25. So I ended up buying all the variants, and I am one who never buys variant covers, and in fact does just about all my reading digitally these days. If similar deals were going on for other signing stops, especially in dense areas like NYC, I bet a lot of readers who normally would only buy one copy were more likely to buy five. The signing is this Thursday, uh, which is August 25th. <gasps> we're dating the podcast! So I'll see if it is packed with wristband buyers or non-wristband buyers. Or wristbanders. Um, I wonder if it's Midtown Comics. When I Gotta visit be, NYC, right? I always go there. Yeah. There's also a couple of other ones in New York as well. Um, I know that Snyder is always talking about Forbidden Planet and uh, his local shop, which I don't know if it's still his local shop because I know that he moved last year. It was year. his local shop. Yeah. yeah he had a, he had another shop, but I can't remember the name. I want to say it was like Long Island something, but I I couldn't tell you. But Here's the thing, like, I it's not when, when, when you when you look at it, the the idea of you know five variants for twenty five dollars, it's actually a really good deal because not bad at all, yeah. Um, you know, I stopped buying variant covers because I it was just too difficult to keep up with them. But back when I was buying variant co- variant covers, you know, you would get like the one in twenty five covers for Detective Comics or Batman, and my comic shop would charge about eight dollars a piece for those. Seven to eight dollars. Really, really? Yeah. So those. So you would have the the one issue, which would be you know four bucks. You'd have the the variant, which is about almost double the price. And then if there was like a black and white version or uh, one in ten, they don't know. Well, they weren't really doing one in tens anymore. But one in twenty fives would be a little bit more. The the variant cover themes were always the same price. They never. Yeah, they were even. They, money. Yeah, they were even. But like if they actually had like an incentive variant cover, which was normally one in twenty fives, it'd be like seven eight bucks. Knowing that All Star, I mean like don't get me wrong, All Star had a gazillion variants, but not nearly as many as Harley Quinn as we talked about the last episode. But I think that part of it has to do with well, one five variants for twenty five bucks is a pretty good deal considering the book itself is only is, is five bucks. So the fact that there's no markup whatsoever on any of those variants is a good deal. Um, now I know that I'm, I'm almost positive. It's not Snyder who's selling those wristbands and selling those extra copies of the, that's the the comic shop. But at the same time, I'm sure that has something to do with it, but there's no way to explain if, if it's variants like that, there's no way to explain the link between the amount of sales because of the variants 
because of just you know comic shops having having signings. Now I don't keep up with Jimmy Palmiotti and and uh, Amanda Connor's signing schedules, but I can't imagine them going to as many places as they have you know as as, as have had variant covers for Harley Quinn number one if. And, and that's and that book sell as many as it did. I mean, obviously the movie had a lot to do with it as well. But I think in general, the variant covers have a lot to do with the crazy numbers. But like, if someone doesn't buy variants and they just buy one extra variant, that's you know doubling the numbers right there. But I don't. I, I really don't think that's where the majority of these sales numbers come in on any of these big titles. I, I just I don't. Um, I think that it, it may be thirty thousand copies. I mean, I can't believe it's more than 10%, to be honest with you, you know? Um, I just don't see that being the reason to get the sales up that high. I just, I don't. And I, by the way, what we're talking about here, because I don't think we actually talked about it, is that the the rumors are is that there's All-Star Batman sold over 400,000 copies. Oh, no, no, we did talk about it. We, talk, we brought it up last episode. That's but why... Has that's the number been he... out there yet, though? Like, the official number? No, was, no that's just still the... The, the, the unofficial, unofficial one? Number. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if there was an official number that had been, like, put out there yet. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's from, I mean, does the variance doesn't hurt. I don't think it hurts it, but I think it's takes it from three seventy to 400. You know what I'm saying? I just don't see the variance making up that much of it because then I wanted to say you, 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 you buy a variant, you may not buy the regular cover. Um, I'm, you know, so I don't know, but it's definitely pretty good deal for the 25 bucks, but yeah, I just don't think they would have that much of an effect on the sales number. And again, I'd love to know, like if they was, some way that you could report sales by cover, wouldn't that be great? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I would really like to, to be able to say, oh, you know, All-Star sold 400,000 copies and 330,000 of them were this cover and this how many were this cover. That would be interesting. And I think that, like, there's no way for us to know that at this point at least, but obviously part of the reason is because there are comic stores who are ordering a large number because if they order X amount, they get an incentive certain, copy. Yeah. And I think that's a lot that, – that, that has some sort of effect, but I can't say that it has a ginormous effect. But I, I can tell you, like, Midtown Comics probably can – you know, has no problem putting an order for, you know, 1,000 comics or 500 comics or whatever the, the minimum you have to put in in order to get your own variant cover. I'm positive that there are – you know, there's plenty of comic shops. Like, Harley Quinn had 40-something 40 40-something 40 variants. If you take like 30 of those and say they were store variants, I'm sure there's 30 stores in the country who, you know, could, you know, put together large enough orders to have like 500 copies. Yes, but I will they say that selling half of them on eBay, but true, it could do that. My my local establishment, which I don't go in as regularly as I should, um, they so, totally sold out of All Star Batman in three days, and they overordered, so it is selling. All right, so our next comment comes from Ian. As a follow-up to Dimaeta, uh, that's very interesting. I'd be very surprised if that provided even 100,000 extra sales. 400,000 is a truly staggering number. I'm surprised that there are over 200,000 comic buying fans, honestly, but it appears that they are out there. It's like we're uh, a race of unicorns that just frolics around. And yeah, pretty much. But the reality is, I mean, that's a 400,000 is a ton. Silly. Yeah, that's a silly amount. Of and I'm just looking at it from this perspective. If you look at the comics in general, you know, a Scott Snyder book prior to All Star launching was right around 100 to 125 thousand per month. 
So you figure those hundred to 125,000 people who are buying the Scott Snyder book initially, if they picked up, you know, three extra variants of whatever they may be, that adds up to 400,000. So it's not completely far-fetched. I mean, not everybody's obviously doing that, but then there's, there's a lot more variants that people could be picking up. So I think that number is one. It's a very high number, but I think, like I said, it just has a lot to do with the amount of variants that it, it, there are in general, just because, you know, there are people who are completists, like I used to be before my pocketbook got so empty. Well, they ruined it. I know, like, this is something I know me and Dustin harped on before, but I used to kind of be in that corner. I wasn't a total completist like Dustin, but I would try to get as many variants as possible. And they just, like, I just said, enough, I'm done with this. You know, like, it's, it's impossible. It just got too expensive. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, I mean, you're not. I'm not going to buy Batman number whatever number five this month and drop a hundred bucks buying all the covers. Just not going to do it. So they, they, in a lot of ways, I think they killed the, the you know, what the old thing killed the goose that was laying the golden egg. Like we yeah. were willing to, I was willing to pay buy two or three issues of a comic for twenty bucks a month to get the covers. Sure, but I'm not, you know, what I'm saying. But now you fifty covers, forty covers. Like, come on, guys, too much. Yeah, well, it, I think the problem is that it all blew up once they started doing the theme variant covers because. That right there was allowing you know there to be oh, at yeah. least a minimum of two issues per, per month that you were doubling up on. And then the problem was that by itself was a lot, but then you still had incentive variants on top of that. But it all goes back to when, like I said, I, I said this at some previous episode recently, it all started with Batman Incorporated when they started doing 1 in 100 covers, which were extremely hard to come by back then. Now, 1 in 100 covers aren't that big of a deal because those there's 1 in 500 and there's 1 in 1,000 covers. And 1 stuff in 5,000. Like yeah, it's it's insane, but the reality is, you know, there are people out there who will do that, you know, who will pay for it. So, And just wait till we talk about this in, oh, I don't know, about four years when oh, Action Comics and Detective Comics number 1,000 comes out. Oh, yeah. You know it's going to be like – Because there's going to be like a gazillion oh. – what, what like was the joke? Variants. Wasn't Jim Lee made the joke uh, at Comic Con? We could let's do a thousand variants. Let's I don't not. think that's impossible, but really, a thousand variants. I think that's a little far fetched. I do too, but I mean, I could see him doing. Unless something. they were having like extremely low production rates for each one. But I could, you could see him doing something goofy. I mean, super. Oh, goofy. they're gonna do something. Yeah, they'll do they, something. All right, so our next comment comes from Terry. Hey guys, thanks for another great episode. Been away for a while and just binged several episodes in a row, and I'm glad to hear your thoughts on comics as they release. I know this is a little late, but I did want to chime in just a bit to something that I think relates to the sexism discussion you were having a few episodes ago, and that is the Snickers ad. Oh, yes. The Snickers ad, I know exactly what he's talking about, that has been running in a lot of DC Comics over the last month or so. The ad follows in the, tra- in the tradition of other you're not yourself when you're hungry Snicker ads that I've seen on television. But this particular ad just struck me as different given the history of sexism in comics that you discussed previously. In the ad, Batman and Superman begin fighting a monster, which happens to be doomsday, only to give the monster a Snickers bar to calm the monster down. After doing so, you see that the monster was Wonder Woman. This just seems too much to be some sort of sexist, give the crazy female some chocolate to make her calm statement that I felt deserves some sort of comment in a media that has a bad history of treating female characters differently or stereotypically. 
In more related comments, as much as I'm always with Ed uh, about all things Snyder, I can't help but echo his treatment of Alfred. I hope that there is some sort of interesting plan that he has mapped out in advance for the character and probably feel like Alfred is just trying to protect Bruce by sabotaging his mission. However, if Snyder is just going to make us endure more out-of-character Alfred, then why not just use another of his pet characters, like Julia, instead? Alfred has gotten such short shrift in Batman comics as a whole since well before Flashpoint, and I wish that creators would either just use him correctly or not use him at all. Anyway, thanks for another great episode. All right, so let's talk about first. Let's talk about Alfred. You know, we we this is basically an agreement of what we were talking about last episode. Alfred has been treated poorly. I you know I definitely agree. Um, it would be great if there was some sort of like explanation as to why Snyder is always always making Alfred like either, either torturing him or making him the bad guy or whatever. I don't know what it is. The next time we talk to Snyder, I think that's one of the questions we're going to have to ask him. Um, but, but there, there's that. Um, but I want to talk about this ad too, because initially I didn't see, because I read my comics digitally, which don't have advertisements like the print copies and the digital comics, they, uh, I, I had saw something before I even had read my comics for the week about it online about the Snickers ad, and I was like, I gotta see what this is. So I headed to the comic shop, my local comic shop, to see what this ad was in a print copy. And what is this boom, ad of which they speak? Yeah, and the thing is, I'm reading through this ad, and or while well, reading through the comic, and the the weird part about it was I believe the first issue it popped up in was an Injustice League issue. And it was strange because you actually, as you're reading the comic, it doesn't even feel like – it just feels like suddenly you're just, you just keep reading. The art really doesn't change enough to like really notice it in my opinion. And it was just like a continuation of the story. And then all of a sudden you're just like met with this advertisement that's placed in the middle of a comic. And I'm like, what is going on here? But the idea that dealing with the sexism element of the ad, definitely. Um, as I was reading, I was thinking to myself, this is a really stupid thing to do. Like, it's, this is really dumb. Like, it may, it would have made more sense if they did it with, like, make Superman the monster. Because Superman, why would Superman ever be a monster? I mean, in, in the same degree, why would Wonder Woman ever be a monster either? Mm-hmm. But why would, why does it have to be why does it why is the monster one woman that part of it didn't make any sense to me because because of exactly that comment you know you give you know a crazy female chocolate and that'll calm them down and i'm just thinking like as i'm reading this i'm like this just seems like such a mistake why in the world would they make wonder woman the person who has to eat the chocolate to calm down mm-hmm. like that just is screaming there's a problem and it just feels like, I mean, you could have put Batman or Superman in, in the role of the monster, and then it wouldn't have come across as sexist. A couple things on it. One, I think with Alfred and Snyder, this is Scott doing the, the hurting the ones you love the most type things. Um, in his interviews, I remember when everyone thought he was going to kill Alfred, which may have seemed like a mercy killing after what he's put him through, um, back in Death of the Family, and he's like, I'm not going to kill Alfred. I love Alfred. So I think this is just his way of... He, he views Alfred as the import, most important character to Bruce, so he's going to just grind him up a little bit. That being said, even I'm on record with my huge amount of Snyder love and saying that you know poor Alfred has been beat up enough. Let's, let's leave him alone for a little bit. Uh, the, the Snickers thing, like a couple things here. One, I want to congratulate the marketing comp- department of DC Comics um, to have this kind of like 
four-page mega spread in every single comic must have been a gigantic advertising contract. Seriously, think about that. In every comic, and I am literally reading every single DC comic right now. Wow. Um, since Rebirth started, I'm ordering every single one. Uh, I'm trying to read every single one. Uh, me, it's a family thing. Me and my wife daughter, we're all reading every comic in Rebirth. Um, oh, wow. And so we're doing it together as family. Uh, one night a week, we spend some time reading. Anyway, um, but it was in every single issue from that I saw. So that has to be, like, just the marketing dollars alone must be huge on this. Uh, the second thing was the Wonder Woman thing. It's kind of stupid. Like, use any other character. And, and it had, if you want to put Wonder Woman in it, like you said, flip it to Superman and have Wonder Woman the guy, the one giving Clark the chocolate. I mean, it probably would have been better. That being said, is, is it kind of tone deaf? Yeah. But I don't think they meant it to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think just someone did something that came off as kind of dumb and they should probably rethink it. But I do want to encourage, like, I saw a lot of people like, they shouldn't put these type of ads in my comics. It gets in my reading way. Like, dude, that ad probably put more on DC's bottom line than all the copies of Wonder Woman, Green Arrow, and, you know, another comic combined is cash flow. So if these type, if I have to endure these type of ads to help DC stay solvent and make, keep making comics, I'm totally cool with it. Just pay attention to the tone of your ad a little better next time, kids. It, it really does seem like, like a PMS joke. And I can say oh, that because totally, yeah. I'm a woman, you know, yeah. because it's like she's angry. It's clearly because of, you know, woman, woman stuff. problems. Yeah. And, you know, chocolate is like the, the savior of all uh, female problems. Um, you know, I imagine it's always um, intent versus, you know, reception. And I, I wonder who who came up with this, if it was a man or a woman. And I imagine the intent was who would be the least likely, you know, who would you least expect this from, and it just happened to be Wonder Woman. But it's just bad because, you know, of the trinity of these three, you know, why is she the one <laughs> pulled out? And it was a doomsday. Like, he says monster, but it's clearly doomsday. And so you associate that with Superman. And so I think it would make more sense, you know, to have Superman be that. Um, but, yeah, or if it were Solomon Grundy and then have it be Batman. But it is just a bummer. I feel like, you know, for every you know, one step forward or two steps back with, with things that are going on with um, with everything. I don't know. And, gosh, this goes back to that person's comment. I can't remember where, like, he was just talking about um, how he hopes we're going to get to a day where, you know, these sorts of things aren't happening and we're all on the same page. And I think we all wistfully, you know, agreed and are like, yeah, we hope that day comes. And this is just another, you know, issue of, of our humanity and, and not being on the same page as other people. So, yeah. And honestly, to you, you kind of brought up a good point there with Doomsday. Wonder Woman should have been a Wonder Woman bill like Cheetah or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, that would have, that kind of, I never really thought about that, but that certainly would have made a little more sense there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like an angry god or something. Yeah, yeah, Artemis or, you know, yeah. uh, one of the gods, yeah. All right, our next comment comes from Ian, which is also a follow-up. Agree completely about the Snickers commercial. It isn't very funny, and it's annoying that it's in so many comics. It really, you know, the last time they had something even remotely similar to this was those crazy Nicholas Shea video, uh, advertisements <laughs> for Twix bars. Do you remember those? Yeah. In the, in the comics? 98 Degrees, man! I'm not talking about 98 Degrees. I'm talking about him being a Twix Twix bar spokesperson and then having these weird like half ads in the middle of a pa- yeah, the panel yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway I, all right. I agree but this was again a, a line wide advertisement so good morning. all right next comment comes from Bob 
Bob, who are you? Because you're amazing. So Bob says, wait, so Spoiler and Harper Row aren't the same person? What? Oh, heavens above. Well, he's got he's got three question marks and then a winky This smile. is sarcasm, right? But I, yeah, I love sir. it. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, no, Thank you. It is sarcasm, but as, as Stella has pointed out multiple times when we talk about Mm-hmm. Steph's uh, abilities with tech uh, in the pages of Detective Comics. It really does feel like they are, they have been melded into one. All right. Our next comment comes from Ian. He says, Regarding the higher prices for All-Star Batman, it seems that they're using a higher quality paper sock for the book than standard comics. Explaining the bump in price a little bit. So we killed more trees, we need more money. Even though there are only eight more pages. I'm frustrated that Snyder doesn't seem to be able or willing to hit a page count, though, and that DC isn't making a statement about why this particular comic is being priced out of their admirable, admirable, mm-hmm, admirable 2.99 range. I mean, obviously they don't have to, since it's selling nearly three times as much as any other comic. But it's kind of unfortunate, all the same. Yeah, I mean, I brought this up earlier when talking about the page count for the annual that's coming out in November, which will also have Scott Snyder's name attached to it. So it's not that it's just Scott Snyder. Um, but my my problem is, fine, you know, it's got some better paper, whatever. That doesn't attribute to the page, you know, price when you're buying stuff digitally, although digital stuff is more expensive to begin with. stupid. Yeah. I mean, now, I shouldn't say more expensive, but just as expensive, even though... You're not getting any anything physical, and that'll. But, I don't want to. I don't want to dive into a physical versus digital aspect because that's a whole conversation. I think for a different day when it comes to like prices and things like that. But I will say that, you know, the I guess in DC's mind, the comics have advertisements which I guess make up for the fact that they're not. You know, they're priced at the certain point that they're priced. So if it's a three dollar comic, it's going to have ads that's going to let them not only get the $3 out of your pocket, but also get the advertisement money out of the you know, advertiser's pockets as well to offset the fact that it's priced at whatever it's priced at. Yes. Um, so the one thing I, I don't know because of the way I read the comic was, does All-Star Batman have less ads? I don't know, honestly. I didn't Cause that's, count Because, I mean, that would be one of the few reasons I would sit there and say, okay. Interesting question. I'll have to go back and take a look at it. Yeah, and I think we're going to – we should talk about that next episode because yeah. I think that's one of those things where it's like if there's less ads because they didn't want to break up the story as much, then I, maybe then that's understandable. That, yeah, I could, I could yeah. understand that. I'm not going to get behind it like you, but I will, I will understand why they did it. But if it's just as many ads as any other comic book and you're still paying an extra $2 for only eight extra pages – there's no justification for that other than they know it will sell, so they're going to raise the price, which I, I think is wrong. Well, I'm not saying that it's not wrong as a fan, but, I mean, let's think about it. Supply economics. I mean, if you know it's going to no, sell. No, 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 no. I know. Yeah. We're not going to – I don't want to argue about the idea of, like, a business knowing that they're going to make money to – you know, going about making more money for the sake of making more money. That aspect is fine, but, like, it just – doesn't translate well, and the fact that they don't like, seem to have a good reason, I yeah. would agree with that. I mean, just, I mean, right now the only reason they can give us is the paper's a little better, but the real reason is Scott Snyder's on the book. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and they know it'll sell. They know it'll sell. Like they don't have a good reason. And um, normally, when like you said, they bump up the page count, they do the glossier paper with the bumped up page count. At least there is normally a reason you can point to, even if you know it doesn't make sense. Do you know what I'm saying? 
and go, well, it's more because it's three pages longer and it's glossy. And normally you're like, oh, it's kind of, it's kind of a bad, bad logic, but I'll go along with it. But this one, they since the page count was so low, they are kind of uh, not being able to use their own built-in excuse. All right, next comment comes from Alberto. Hey, guys, thanks for another great comic cast. It's been a while since I've commented, but I haven't missed an episode. And as much as I loved coming on here in the past and dogging Snyder, I must admit I was very much excited to read All-Star, and the first issue didn't disappoint. That being said, I found the Batman universe in late 2008 when I first thought to search for a Batman-dedicated podcast, and I found this lovely site been here ever since. Back when I used to download an episode to my computer and transfer it over to my Blackberry. Oh, wow. Oh, simpler times. LOL. I've always wanted to ask you guys, but I just never have. How did you guys get into comics or Batman in general? A little rundown of my history. My dad took me to see Batman 89 when I was five on opening night and subsequently did for every movie that followed after that. Yes, even Batman and Robin. That's my favorite, Alberto. My mom would record the animated series for me and my little brother on VHS. Needless to say, we never missed an episode. My parents always fostered our love for superheroes. I grew up in a small border town, so there was no comic so there were no comic shops. So whatever comics I did get came from Walmart back when they carried comics and traded paperbacks my mom would find at garage sales. It wasn't until I was in college that I was able to find a comic shop and become a monthly reader. And all these years later, I'm still in love with Batman. That's my story in a nutshell. I'd like to hear yours if you're willing to share. Sorry for the long post. Guess I'm just making up for not posting in a while. Thank you guys for keeping up the great work. Well, thank you, Alberto, for listening since 2008. I mean... If you've been if you've been listening since that long, then you know that we have experienced we have we have experienced numerous changes over the years, and uh, I'm grateful for the hosts that have come before, but I'm more grateful for the hosts that I currently have mm. that talk with me because I think, and no offense to the previous people who have worked with me, but I think that we have a great group right here, and I think Aww. fans really appreciate the synergy that we have between the three of us. And I'm very pretty too. I won't go there. Anyway. <laughs> oh man! But anyway, um, I you know okay, we'll, we'll we'll give brief histories as to how we got involved with Batman and comics. So I got involved with Batman originally. The first Batman movie I ever saw was Batman Returns. I saw it on VHS. I didn't see a lot of movies in theaters when I was kid when I was a kid, but I'm not old enough to have gone to the movie theater when Batman '89 came out because I was only three years old at the time. Um, when Batman Returns came out in 1992, I saw that on VHS the year after it came out. So in 93, um, because my aunt, who I was, uh, so I, I spent a lot of time with when I was a kid, she rented tons of movies, and that was a movie that, one of the first Batman movies I ever saw. Uh, that same year, I also saw Batman Mask of Phantasm, because that was released on VHS that same year. Um, those were the, my first experiences with Batman in general. I, I really got interested into the character when Batman before Batman Forever came out. And I, I'm sure I've told this story at some point, either probably not here on the comic cast, but on the Batman Universe podcast at some point. The way I got super interested in Batman was I had a subscription to a magazine called Disney Adventures, which... Mm. Was I, I love that, but one of yeah. the things they always did was in the summer, they always like had these like special issues that focused solely on some big event movie that was coming out. And for Batman Forever, they had like two issues that actually came out one that dealt with the heroes and one that dealt with the villains. So, like June and July of 1995. 
there was these there, there was these two magazines and they delved into the gadgets of Batman and they delved into like all this stuff. Now I was at the time to put in perspective, I was nine years old, so I was prime age for the Warner Brothers marketing department aiming Batman Forever and Batman and Robin towards me. That's who they were marketing it towards, not you know teenage fans, adult fans. That's not who they were really marketing those for. I bought tons of the toys from both of those movies. And at the time, I, I still didn't see them in theaters. I had to wait till they came out on uh, VHS in order to see them. But I was obsessed with the idea of like the fact that Batman could be a normal person, not have any powers, and become this. And I had it in my mind when I was nine years old that I could become Batman. So that's that's basically what happened. Skip forward to me realizing that my parents weren't rich and my I wasn't about to walk down a dark alley with my oh, parents no. anytime soon. I I started just delving into the history of Batman. The very first comics I ever came in in contact with were actually promotional comics that were released for Batman and Robin. Uh, Toys R Us had a special where if you came in and you bought X amount of action figures that were Batman, they gave you this little pack of comics that was. There was three comics in the bag, and they were promotional comics that retold the stories uh, of Detective Comics number 27, The Origin of Batman, uh, the origin of, uh, well, the first appearance of Robin and the first appearance of Batgirl. And then there was also, I believe, one that was a combination of uh, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy that told their original stories that were that, how they first appeared in the comics as well. And I, those were the very first comics, even though they weren't real comics. Um, the summer after that, after I actually saw Batman and Robin and realized it wasn't that great, but I still enjoyed it, the the I actually went to the comic shop for the very first time because for months leading up to this, my dad would go to the grocery store and I would hit this one section where they had the magazines and the newspapers and all that stuff, and they had a comic section as well. And I would sit there while my dad would be doing the grocery shopping, and I would read Detective Comics and Batman every single month um, when we when we go to the grocery store. Uh, then I went to the comic shop for the first time, and I picked up all the trade paperbacks for No Man's Land, which was hot. <laughs> nice mean, light reading. Yeah, yeah, it was Road to No Man's Land. I also had Catechism um, and the five volumes of No Man's Land, and I spent like pretty much a good probably all of my birthday money that summer on these trades and I read them and I got crazy into it. Um, and that, that's basically how it all started. Um, I also had a subscription to the Batman animated series tying comic that DC released. It was a subscription that someone had given me around the time Batman Robin or Batman forever came out. So I also had those, um, so I guess technically that would have been my first comic. Actually, now that I think about it, I think it was Batman the Animated Series number 36, which had Batman on the cover with a blue and white background of all these villains in the background. I think that was number 36. It was like the second to last issue or something like that. So that's that's my story in a nutshell, even though it really wasn't a nutshell. I will keep mine composed and simple. I saw the first Batman 89 movie when I was 12 years old. Sometime in the near future after that, uh, I ended up in a bookstore. I don't think it was a Barnes and Noble then, but that type of, probably Walden Books in the Mall. Um, do they still have those? Do they? Um, no, they're, no, they're they going. went under. 
and uh, I ended up in a bookstore in a mall, and being 12 years old, I convinced my father to buy me the first Batman thing that I, that I saw at this point, which was after the movie, months afterwards. It was Arkham Asylum by Grant Morrison. Whoa! <laughs> which was the first comic book I ever read, and I was 12 and was instantly hooked. And if you've read this comic, and I'm sure if you have a, you listen to the Batman comic podcast, you have read Arkham Asylum. This is not the ideal book for a young 12-year-old boy to be reading. Um, which is probably the reason I got I got into comics because I, you would say that it was all downhill from there for me because I thought they were all going to be like Arkham Asylum, but they're not. By the way, um, so yeah, that's how I, that was the easy one. And then after that, I was I was done. Put a fork in me. I was I was hooked. I, before I go on my origin, I just want to say that you know Dustin was saying he pretended to be or he thought he was Batman, and I don't think he's given up that he dream. is he is Batman to me, like his his deep voice, and um, uh, I I don't know, just when I think of Batman, I think of Dustin, and even if I'm in the company of people who know Dustin, um, I'll, I'll call him Batman, and they'll like, yep, yep, like Donovan and Josh, though they're right on board with that. Um, so just you know, your dream isn't. Dead Dustin just wanted to. It was on to me. Hey, you're my um, bad girl to my Batman. So. <laughs> the bubble, yeah, the Stephanie Brown like bubbly one that tries to keep it all light. Um, so apologies because I'm gonna get some Marvel stuff in here, yeah. but uh, I know. So it all began with these trading cards, these Marvel trading cards, and I can't remember um, the company that did them, but you know, it's just like a baseball card where there'd be a hero on the front and then on the back. Uh, stats of of the hero and you know their powers and everything, or there could be like a fight, like the Thing versus the Hulk, and then it would talk about you know where that I appeared. Think it was Fleer, Fleer. I think yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Um, and these were you know I had random ones and they were really my brothers. And before naps, uh, my mom would like read me these, and then you know I, so I was very young. Uh, and I I loved Spider Man was the first hero really that I was introduced to. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is very close to that. Um, and I remember having these like little PVC. I had a Robin, um, a Batman, and a Joker, and so I knew of them, but I didn't you know like huh. Um, and if I ever got comics, you know, if I was sick um, or yeah, I just went to a comic store, it would really be getting a comic that had an intriguing cover at the time, and they were all Spider-Man comics, and so, you know, I have, like, a, a very eclectic series of Spider-Man comics, and what got me into Batman, I think the first film I may have watched was couple snippets of Batman Returns and I was young and so it disturbed me greatly. One of them was the biting of the nose scene by Penguin. That was disturbing. And the other scene was um, Selena Kyle um, shoving all of her stuffed animals down the garbage disposal. And you know, for a girl who has stuffed animals, like this is very disturbing for True. me as yeah. well. Um, so I remember that, but the first one that I fully watched, uh, I rented from Blockbuster, and it was Batman and Robin, and I loved it, and I watched it multiple times, and it is, to this day, my favorite Batman film, and people get on me for wait, that, but I, wait. I, yes! <laughs> you mean from the original, from like the Schumacher ones, right? You don't mean of all time. Um, I guess of the Schumacher, I don't know, I've not you sat down. It's weird because of Batgirl as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Yeah, yeah. That you know, Batgirl's in there and everything. Maybe not of all time, but uh, of those four, I think definitely. 
So really my gateway into Batman, I think, was Batman the Animated Series, which I think is an origin story for many people. And uh, I loved the character, but I think I was obviously more drawn towards Barbara Gordon, uh, Batgirl. And then, you know, that got me started on my own thing. And through that, though, which is just an amazing thing, through learning more about Barbara Gordon, I'm also learning about all these other characters because it really is a family. So learning more about Batman, I mean, I'm in the midst of the 90s right now, and, and Tim Drake, like I said, you know, you guys have, listeners, you have to be patient with me as I'm, I'm trickling through and, and trying to get more and more info on him. So that's been uh, really great. I don't know what the first Batman, like, by itself comic um, would have been for me, and I'm almost wondering if it also would have been the No Man's Land trades uh, that Michael Bailey was very gracious in giving to me. I wonder if those would have been it. Uh, but I seriously started buying comics during Infinite Crisis. So I was about to, I guess I was a junior or senior in high school, and I don't know what turned me on to it, but I just thought, you know, this event looks pretty cool. I'm going to check it out. And when I tell this, I also say that it was like, the best and the worst decision that I made. Um, it's the worst because there are so many insane, you know, moments that go on and characters that you have no idea about that it's very easy to get confused if this is like the first you're, you're stepping into the DC universe. But it's also great because if you have a commitment to learn more about the universe, then I had, you know, one of those dictionaries and I think, you know, the internet was, you know, already up at that point. Uh, and you look up these characters and then you learn more. So I learned so much through that. And then I started reading, I think the first comic that I started getting off of that was um, the Justice League title by, uh, shoot, what's his name? Uh, uh, Meltzer. Brad no, Meltzer, Brad Meltzer. Ooh, yes, which I thought was great. I loved it. Um, and then at the same time, I also started getting to Marvel full time because Civil War was going at the same time. So, uh, yeah. So, and now I've just been collecting. Um, well, I guess reading more. Obviously, in Batman's history, like I said, I'm I'm in the '90s, which is a crazy era, I think, for Batman. And I'm learning so much being on this show, and um, I feel like I'm maybe you know still amateurish uh, in terms of Batman history. But it's great being on the show because. Not only do I get to read all these Batman comics and get to explore new characters like the General, whom I never would have heard of before, but then I've got you know Ed and Dustin, who have such uh, a, a knowledge of Batman before that I learned so much. So, you know, it, it's this pod being on this show is just like you um, in the fact that uh, I'm learning as well as you know delivering things. So, uh, thank you, Alberto. We're so on Alberto, right? <laughs> Yes, 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 yeah. you are. Yeah, so that's uh, that's my – I feel like we actually haven't talked about our origins on this show, so that was actually a really good question. I feel like we probably did it some point. But maybe like not comic together. History. I don't think we ever did it together. I think it was yeah. when yeah. I came on, it was like, Ed, you tell the story, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah. it's always nice to have just like a refresh of – you know, yeah. because – you know, new listeners who haven't necessarily listened to every single episode we've ever produced. I mean, that would take a long time since we're almost at 200 episodes at this point, and each episode is roughly about two hours long. So, I mean, that could take you some time. Take some time, yeah. But that being said, um, you know, I, I think it. I think it is good to you know talk about it. And like I said before, when when it comes to listener Q and A's, you know, 
we want to answer the questions. Mm-hmm. It's just you guys need to ask them. So, um, and don't forget, episode two hundred coming up. We're gonna have special. We're gonna have twelve different variants for that. So yes. Oh yeah. All right. So the next comment comes from Paul. Been listening to the podcast for a few years now and really enjoy it. Started reading Batman at the start of New 52 and in that time have gotten back and read all the classics as well as all of Morrison's run and enjoyed the evolution of Damien as a character with Bruce slash Batman. Like yourselves, I found Snyder's lack of inclusion of Damien difficult at times in a universe where continuity was important at one moment across many titles but then forgotten the next. After Endgame and Bruce's reemergence as the healed, improved, positive Batman, was there any reference made to him having a son in any of the titles at all? That's question number one. I noted that at the end of Batman and Robin Eternal 26, the series ends with the new Batman post-issue 50 taking on a bank heist with all the Robins, but there is no mention of that father-son bond. Do you think this was DC just skirting the issue? So two questions so far, but my main one is, with Rebirth, do you think DC will address this I have son issue, or do you think Damien and Bruce's relationship will just continue as it was pre-Endgame and moving on from Tomasi's series Batman and Robin, or do you think they might do something else entirely? Many thanks, and thanks for all the entertaining podcasts. There's one simple part uh, answer to this. Um, that I'll just say, and then I, I think you guys probably have more. But in my interview with Tom King, I asked where Damien was. And it seems like the writers currently want to be very hands-off with him because he's going to be not only in Super Sons, but in Titans, uh, Teen Titans as well. So I think it's more of like a... Uh, an authorial intent of, um, you know, letting him be his own in those other titles and not necessarily involving him. Am I satisfied with that answer? <laughs> no, because I love Damien and I want to see that more, but I think that that could be a potential answer to one of your questions. I think here, here's the thing. Um, obviously there's, there's issues with Damien and Bruce's relationship. Um, has it even been portrayed that well since rebirth? No, not necessarily. I mean, they have actually addressed the fact that he, you know, Damien does exist in the book, but it's still not, you know, Bruce has a son and he doesn't address the fact that his son is a, of a is an important factor in his life. Um, that's the thing that, that concerns me the most. But the biggest thing for me is, you know, the reason why the New 52 existed and Damien wasn't in any book was because of Scott Snyder. As much as Everybody and their brother who you ask will say, well, he was actually, it was because we were letting Peter Tomasi do, you know, write the character in the pages of Batman and Robin. And, you know, that's, that's why. And I've actually heard Snyder say at some points that the reason why he didn't touch uh, Damien to begin with is not the answer that he says every, to everybody nowadays, which is my son is too close in age because the reality was when he started writing Batman books, his son wasn't close in age. His son was, the, his son I don't. Well, I'm not going to speculate as to how old his exact son is, but like he was just saying on Twitter at the beginning of the Rebirth that his son is like nine years old or something. We know that Damien just turned 13 in the comics. That's why he's going over to the Teen Titans, which leads us to believe that he's been 11 or 12 years old during the entire New 52 run. His son, keep in mind, grows in actual you know Earth years, not comic years. Meaning his son, when that uh, when when uh, 
uh, Scott Snyder started on comics back in 2011, um, when he started, in, uh, or actually 2010, if you really want to go back, because that's when he started on Detective Comics, 2010 would have been six years ago, so his son would have been three. So there was no reason why he couldn't have written the character knowing that the character, there was like a eight-year age gap between the two characters. Because if that was true, then why would he write Duke Thomas, who's also 16 years old, if his son is about nine years old now, that's still about eight years of difference. The reality is that at some interview, he had said that he didn't touch Damien initially because Damien was supposed to have a pivotal role in the pages of Batman Incorporated. They hadn't wrapped up Batman Incorporated, and that's why he didn't appear initially, because he didn't want to step on Grant Morrison's toes with whatever Grant Morrison was going to do with it. Now, there has been plenty of times where they've addressed the fact that he, you know, that, that Snyder has said multiple times since then that it's mostly because he doesn't want to write somebody who's so close to his son's age, which is understandable now but not five to six years ago because it it just doesn't work out when you explain it like that. Um, my thing is, I just don't think he, you know, there's certain characters that people don't like writing. Uh, you know, we talked about this earlier. Snyder has done really strange things with the character of Alfred. He's brought characters in that had really already existed because, you know, the way spoilers being written now is just the way Harper Rowe was written when she first appeared in Snyder's run. Snyder could have used spoiler instead of using Harper Rowan introducing a new character. He could have used Alfred in the same role that he was using Julia Pennyworth in a lot of these issues, but he is using his own creations and, or, you know, his versions of, of some of these characters and that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I mean, to the purists in myself, I don't want him to just create new characters or create characters that are basically matching the personality and characteristics of other existing characters, because that's just basically throwing those other characters, you know, to the side and saying they don't matter. But these new characters, they should matter because I'm writing them. That's what bugs me, and it also bugs me when writers, you know, create their own villains and try to push the villains so down our throat, like Gail Simone did with her run on Batgirl. You know, it was. Her villains, her villains, her villains, her villains. And then they take a character like the Ventriloquist, which, you know, there's a good chunk of people who like the Ventriloquist, and then make the Ventriloquist into this new version of a character that is so you can't get close to, you can't relate to, you're just basically like, what is this character? But the whole thing is, that's why it happened. Um, as far as what's going on now, like Stella said, I think it's all because of Teen Titans. Uh, Tom King, I think. As much as Tom King and James Tynion, you know, are their own writers, they still, to a degree, have been working under Scott Snyder for multiple years. Uh, Tynion has always worked underneath of Scott Snyder's Batman universe since Tynion came on board at DC Comics. Tom King has always worked under, uh, uh, always worked under Scott Snyder as well since he came on to Grayson. So the reality is, you know, they're already set in this method of writing where Damien doesn't exist on a day-to-day basis. So there's no reason for him to exist. You know, they might say it's because of Teen Titans, but I think it's just because Damien has not been ingrained into the universe for such a long period of time. If one, it, you know, it's we're lucky that Damien even appeared in the Batman and Robin Eternal series because he didn't come in until later on. So that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, um, Damien unfortunately has been one of those characters that just hasn't fit where the universe has been going. Um, 
I think that there's a been a conscious decision. I think that the Teen Titans and Super Sons do play a little bit into it. And, and let's face it, like in six months, this could be kind of a mute conversation. If things head the way they're going, Damien could be appearing in two books monthly with probably still some some you know periodical appearances in Batman and, and Detective. Um, and there's a lot of characters that out there that don't even get that much coverage. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that that's okay. Now. I would like to see, and I, and I really hope that the Super Sons book, uh, especially, because we know Teen Titans will be that kind of teen book, but I am hoping that the Super Sons book with the word Sons right in the title like that, um, I mean, I know it stars you know Superman Jr. and Damien, but there's no reason why Superman and Batman can't play a heavy role in it. So hopefully we'll get some, some quality time with Damien and his father there. Uh, I, I do think it's something that, you know, the, the one reason why it never really bothered me for the, for the longest time with Snyder, not including in the book, besides the fact that nothing Snyder really does bothers me. Um, the other, the, the realistic thing was we did have the Tomasi book going on. So it wasn't like we were sitting here going, Oh, well, where am I going to find my day? I mean, it was a book, Batman and Robin. Uh, and then the, you know, we killed him and we went through all that. Um, I do think it should be addressed going forward. Um, I do think Damien should be a fixture in the universe and, I think we may be already addressing that with the introduction of those books. Do you think Morrison irrevocably changed how Damien should be written? Do you think there's something, I don't know, something yes. going on behind the scenes there? I mean, I think, the, I, honestly, I feel like the intent was that Damien was supposed to die. I don't think that Damien was meant to be around for a long period of time. And obviously he did die in the pages of Batman Incorporated, but I'm saying... Mm-hmm. I think he was supposed to die in Batman Incorporated before the New 52 actually happened, and then the idea of Damien was supposed to necessarily you know, be wiped away. I honestly feel like that's what it was supposed to be, because Batman Incorporated should have actually ended prior to the New 52 when it relaunched you know, a couple months after the New 52 and then you know, had issues that, that were coming out simultaneously as these other books but did not tie in, and we all had that, like, continuity doesn't matter anymore situation occurring in all of the books. Batman Incorporated was out of place publishing during the new 52. It should have ended before the new 52. Damien would have died. That would have been the end of it. And you know, Damien, then the new 52 would have happened and, and Damien wouldn't have existed. And that would have just been it. You would just would have had to suck it up. You know, I remember Grant Morrison clearly saying at some point that Damien, Wayne totally was, right. <laughs> no, but the, no, but that's it. Because the whole thing was, Damian Wayne was never meant to be a character that was supposed to be a long-term character. He was introduced to play a plot point for Grant Morrison's story. His ginormous, overarching story through all these story arcs. He was just supposed to be a character for Grant Morrison. If it wasn't because of Batman Incorporated being delayed for as much as it was pre-New 52, they probably would have never had a Batman and Robin series when the New 52 started, which would have never actually caused fans or you know readers to become fans of the character of Damian Wayne because everything that Grant Morrison was writing of Damian Wayne was you did not want to like the character it was when Peter Tomasi took over the character of Damian in the pages of Batman and Robin and started developing that relationship that father-son relationship between Batman and Robin and Damian and Bruce that it made that all of a sudden you're like oh wait maybe I do like this character you're seeing this character develop and actually like grow some sort of emotion towards his father that's not just straight anger it actually started to make the character more likable and you and, and, and people became fans of Damian Wayne that was never supposed to happen. 
So because it wasn't supposed to happen, like, can you really fault anybody for not using Damien? I mean, Damien, basically, he came back probably sooner than anybody would have. I mean, honestly, when Damien died, I don't think we were at all sitting here saying, yeah, you know, Damien, he'll probably be back in six months. I don't think anybody was saying that, but there was a plenty of people who were saying, when is he coming back right away compared to like killing off of Jason Todd, which it would have been a similar situation. Jason Todd was a non-likable character who got killed off. And did anybody complain when he was killed off? No. Damian Wayne was probably supposed to be the exact same thing. And it just didn't work out like that. Yeah, no, I think, I think you, you kind of hit it on the head there. Morrison's character. And and I want to be very clear about this. You hit it very right there but i want to reiterate this point the morrison version of the character pre new 52 was kind of unlikable right like Not they kind were, of he was was unlikable there were some times where you you know little silver you know the, the cloud had the silver lining but i think that the attachment to damien is directly from the tomasi you know what i'm saying like yep. that is is directly from tomasi and how much he changed the dynamic of of damien with bruce um that's when he became the character that we now think of today. And so no one cared that Grant Morrison was to kill him because he was an unlikable little, you know, unfriendly kid. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that we all miss the Tomasi version, but the, the pre-New 52 version. Now, I will say the run with, with Morrison with him and Dick Grayson is very well done. But to think that that kid was likable is just not. That's rewriting history, you know? Do you – what do you think about the Dick and Damien relationship? I think that was written well, but I don't think yeah. that was meant to last. You know, that was like a temporary fill while Bruce was, you know, gallivanting through time to return. Walking um, the earth like yeah. Kane from Kung Fu. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, the relationship between the two of them was 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 fine, and honestly, it was probably in some ways the father son relationship that that we were only ever meant to see was that relationship, even though it wasn't father and son, Mm -hmm. because they, they had a connection between the two of them because of their connection to Bruce. But it was like, they were kind of like thrusted into a relationship more so than, you know, Batman finding out he's got a son, but then basically dying and disappearing for a long period of time. So, I mean like that part of it, you know, it makes sense I never had a problem with the Dick and, and Damien part, but at the same time, Damien was still not written to be a likable character. So, no. And if you go back and read like uh, the Batman and Robin stuff with Dick Grayson, it's good. But if you go back a little farther to like Batman and Son, he's awful. Yeah. Like Batman and, and Batman and Son leading up to Bruce's walkabout that he takes, right? Like Damien is terrible. Well, he just comes um, across as like an entitled twerp. He is, yeah. I mean, it's it's he's just terrible. So, I think I think with Dick Grayson, he worked pretty well. In fact, I really like that that time that Morrison did with him and Dick. Um, but that was the other thing. The only good time with Damien before New Fifty Two was with Dick. It wasn't with Bruce, certainly. With, and no, you know what I'm saying? Um, and again, we I think we all that to, to Pete Tomasi. <laughs> yeah, and I will say that the thing about Damien is because, you know, he is my favorite Robin. Um, it's all about with whom he's paired. And uh, it's great because 
he changes. Um, so he is very unlikable, but then as he starts to attach to certain people, he starts to change. And this is one reason why I love Stephanie Brown, because, my gosh, could you ever imagine Damian Wayne getting into, you know, a big ball pit, <laughs> you know, and having fun? Like, the first time they met was, you know, he does his little t kind of thing, and, like, is clearly disrespecting her, but uh, you know there's a special bond there as well. So um, yeah, I I miss him. I miss him, and I miss him written well, and I miss there being um, special, you know, shipping, familial shipping, um, and and I hope it returns. But I'm I'm afraid that it won't, and I'm afraid that uh, Teen Titans has like the kiss of death because we all know how Tim Drake was in Teen Titans. So I'm actually really afraid for how he's going to be portrayed over there. I am curious who, how it will be done in Super Sons, though. Do we ever get a final creative team on that? Nope. I mean, it, honestly, it'll be like maybe one of the reasons they pushed it off is because Tomasi's going to leave Superman and take over that with Patrick Gleason. I was about to say, if Tomasi gets Super Sons, then I think we will all be very happy about that. Yeah, I think the other problem is that uh, Team Titan. I think that some people who are thinking. You know, when the reasoning of Damien's not in the book because he's going to be in Teen Titans, I think so many people who have read Teen Titans and saw what they did with Tim Drake in Teen Titans are being led to believe that, oh, crap, this is the this is going to basically remove him from the universe like they did with Tim Drake. All right. So with that, that is all of our listener comments. Uh, I implore you to head over to the website and leave your comments for the next episode. Um, obviously, this is normally the time I tell you that we are still raising funds for the website, and we are, but uh, we have done a significant jump up. Uh, we have gone from 52% to over 70%. So thank you very much for those of you who have sent in donations in the past few weeks. Um, I have heard over the past few weeks that there has been some issues with the uh, the plugin that allows the donations to take place. If for some reason you are trying to make a donation and it is not working for whatever reason, um, you can send your you can send uh, your donation directly to us through PayPal using our email address tbu at thebatmaniverse.net to send your your donation directly, and then we will manually adjust the status bar of the percentage that we're currently at once we get those donations in. Uh, but there was a update to the plugin, so hopefully it's all been fixed. If if anybody's still having issues, please let me know so I can try to figure out, uh, you know, try to figure out a fix, and, and that'd be it. So I think it's uh, the mobile. Like I just think people have trouble with it on the phone, and that my suggestion is just to do it on a computer. Yeah, I think that's what it is too, because a couple of the people who had told me that they were having problems were doing it either from their cell phone or from um, from from an iPad with or you know some sort of tablet device that ha that's using a mobile version of the of the website rather than the full version. Um, I've also heard that it's difficult to find the sidebar. Which if you're looking at it on a phone, it is difficult. You've got to scroll through basically the 20 articles that are listed on the front page. Then you'll be able to see the sidebar because it's it shows it differently on a phone rather than on the website or on, on the, on a computer. So, um, if you have issues, just let me know. Um, I am, we are more than willing to work with you to try to get your donation to us, obviously, because those help out 
the website. So, uh, in addition to that, uh, if you are interested in, if you do, if you ha- don't have funds to share with TVU, maybe you have some skills you'd like to share. We're always looking for video editors, graphic designers, anybody who works with uh, webmas- web mass uh, web websites and webmastering and stuff like that. Um, we are always looking for all kinds of help when it comes to that kind of stuff. So be sure to contact us at tbu at thebatmaniverse.net. With that, I'll remind you to head over to the website, check out all of the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics. Also, be sure to check out all of the other podcasts we have to offer. There's new podcasts releasing every single week, so I implore you to check those out. Um, I uh, Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, if you have been looking at YouTube, we've been posting up some new videos, uh, trying some new things, taking some excerpts from the comic cast and putting some visuals behind them. Uh, if you are enjoying those or not enjoying those, let the, let us know as well so that we can have an idea of the stuff that you like or dislike. Um, with that, I also want to implore you to leave reviews on iTunes. And as I mentioned, leave your comments on the website for the next episode. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. So we apologize for the week extra delay, but that's just because there was five Wednesdays in the month of August. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. Uh, This is Ed. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.